You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance, and we give you tons of tips and tricks to simplify the world's most complicated sport, and we even mix in a little bit of Zen to make you a better person along the way. All right, we got a really cool episode today. No interview because I am going to go over with you the Zen way to ride your bike, how to go out on short rides, long rides with the Zen setup. And in it is mixed a little bit of how the pros do it. What I've found over all these years of interviewing pros, the consistent patterns that I've seen of how they do it for big, big payoffs. All right, before we get into that, just a little update of what's going on. We have moved into the new Zen Casa. Oh, it's so much better. The big news is it has a swimming pool in the backyard. We're talking about putting a, what is it, uh, endless pool in the back. Haven't gotten to that point yet. Had to uh, dig up around the fence and such and put in an invisible fence, one of these um, wires, an insulated wire that sends a, a signal to your dog collar or collars to tell your dog to stay away from the fence and quit trying to dig out. You're driving me crazy with all your digging out. <laughs> we lived in Poway, California. Uh, we would get calls from our neighbor that our dog was on their roof. <laughs> they had a husky, and our uh, our uh, golden retriever cocker spaniel mix liked to go uh, into their yard, but she couldn't. The we lived on the on the hill, and the she would jump our fence, but then leap land on the neighbor's roof and then run around on their roof and they'd go outside and, and uh, she's up there barking and their huskies barking wanting to get together oh my gosh that's crazy crazy story crazy place awesome place to live it's Poway California a lot of triathletes live there big training camps and let's see uh, the moving uh, the I'll cover in future episodes um, the feng shui of the house also about feng shui feng shui is where you um it's probably one of the earliest forms of engineering where you engineer your environment for more success uh if you want more energy there's ways to put things in certain places if you want more stress relief uh put things in certain places arrange rooms a lot of it is on how they arrange rooms um but it goes way further than that it's everything that you arrange around you and uh, it, it contributes or takes away from from energy or attitude and you've noticed this uh, the way certain things feel the way certain things work uh, it's just some things are so much better and it's hard to put your finger on them but it's usually the arrangement of things and the new house it's an older house uh, well not that much older it's 2003 but um, it's got a nice uh, covered porch on the front and a bigger covered porch on the back and, like I said, a swimming pool and a little bit more space. It's one story, um, but it's got 
sidewalk that walks around the side and um, uh, it's got a, a pine tree and a pear tree and I think some kind of plum tree and a, a cypress tree and just all kinds of fun stuff that uh, gives it more texture and um, just the layout of the house is more organized that leads to more quiet and it's also on a quieter street and you just see all these things reduce stress and as triathletes we want um, we want to reduce as much stress as we can uh, pros uh, are so successful because they try to minimize their work and their stress and maximize their sleep and their rest and have as little variability throughout their day and the most amount of relaxation. As, and, and then their workouts are better because everything is conducive to less and less stress. And in the case of age groupers like ourselves, most of us out here listening, then um, we are stuck. We are in a world of having to work at least most, a lot of times, eight to five, a lot of times more, commuting, got kids, not that pros don't have kids, but um, more age groupers do have kids. And um, although there was an interview with Peter Reed, I heard, he's a three-time champion. He said if one thing he would change is would have had kids earlier because it would have made him less focused on himself because you have to self-sacrifice and think about others when you have kids. That was pretty interesting. And then, because focusing on yourself and not having anything else to focus on uh, stresses you out. Uh, kids are a good, in a way, uh, distraction. You're not the most important thing in the room anymore when you have a kid. But there's um, uh, the organ. What was I talking about? The organization of the house. Oh, as an age grouper, uh, we really have to go out of our way to minimize the stress. We've got way more stresses built in, uh, typically than the than a than a pro. And to go from back of the pack to work your way up to middle of the pack, front of the pack, you engineer all these things slowly over time to reduce stress, reduce, reduce these things that are less important, like your commute, ways to figure out how to either incorporate training into your commute or just to live closer to work or pick a job that's closer to home over time. And you start to realize that that is so much more valuable anyway, <laughs> that time lost driving is just time lost, man. It sucks. Uh, as soon as you can get rid, I got a friend that just moved because that was so uh, lame for him. And um, you're much better off taking a, a, a lesser-paying job uh, with less, much less commute than a higher-paying job. Just the stress is just so much, and you can't buy your health back. And the um, going to bed earlier, not staying up late, watch TV, moving the TV out of your room. But then there's other things like your house layout, um, like our bedroom in the, in the new place, there's a, a small hallway around the, the kitchen is between us and the living room. And there's a small hallway that wraps out of the kitchen and makes a U-turn back into, the, into our bedroom, away from the living room. And guess what that does? It, uh, if there's somebody in the living room watching TV, you can't hear it from the bedroom. So you can go to sleep in the bedroom and not get woken up. And then you get continuously. This is the first time in two years that I've slept through the night con with continuous sleep without um, a car roaring by or the dogs barking in the middle of the night and somebody walking by the house because we have a sidewalk really close to our house. 
And it's just so nice. I just feel so relaxed. And so anyway, we'll get more into that in a future episode. So um, the the lag between episodes because we've been moving, which is a lot of fun in a, in a weird way. If you're not moving across the country, you're just moving across town, then you can kind of pick stuff up and throw things out that you're not using anymore and you kind of reorganize your life. What's it, you know, last time I used this, never. Throw it away. You're like, oh, look at this thing from a long time ago. Uh, we wrote in the house our names and the names of our pets um, and the date and everything. We did, we've done that in the past couple houses that we've lived in. It's really cool with a permanent marker uh, in the rafters of the attic. And we've seen that in some houses that we've been in. And yeah, just really, really cool stuff, man. So the whole move has been great. Um, the new training room isn't as big as the last one, but honestly, uh, that hasn't bothered me yet. The, the layout of the house is so much better. So we'll talk about that, uh, details on that in, uh, in future episodes. That's not the point of this episode. This episode, we are going to talk about how to bike with Zen. And also, I'm going to do a little bit... Uh, oh, we got a training log. And I've had some success with uh, swimming and running lately that I want to talk about. So I guess we're going to do a whole triathlon podcast. We're going to talk about, talk about swimming and biking and running in the in the uh, training log. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So while I was at a uh, I was at the burrito shop <laughs> enjoying a vegetarian burrito, Freebirds, one of my one of my favorite sponsors, I told them, you want to sponsor me in a way that I will endlessly pay you back. Burritos cost you almost nothing. To me they are the world. <laughs> <laughs> we can make a deal, right? And they said, yeah, we can. And I said, okay, we are on. Freebirds World Burrito. Go to them. They are so cool. So while I was eating with my custom burrito that I got made, I made up a list of the important stuff to turn your bike ride into a zen ride. And then it also came to mind, like I said earlier, a few things that pros do that are really, really important. And I'll start off by saying the most important thing is that you want to bike by feel. And some things are in your control as feel and some things aren't. Uh, Some things you'll never get as feel, like how long you've been gone, like down to the minute. And that that kind of stuff is a little bit important. So we'll, um, I'll give you methods on how to um, control for those few variables that are actually important, like your heart rate, for example, uh, time elapsed, time of day, and the uh, but the other things you want to go by feel because it is really important for two reasons. If you train by how your body feels, then you'll and you know what to do based on what your body's telling you, then you'll always have you'll always do the right workout. If it's not a good workout, you'll know and then you'll stop. And if it is a good workout, you'll know. And you, and you feel good, you'll know and keep going, but then you'll also know not to go too too much, too hard. And you have to learn these things by feel. If you just follow numbers, then you're learning to ignore your body. And then when you get into the longer races, you cannot ignore your body. The people that are most successful are ones that learn what their body is saying and then have practiced and experienced and tried and proven to themselves the things that work to counteract the signal that their body's giving them. You know, there's signals that you're getting too thirsty, that you're getting dehydrated. There's signals that you're trying too hard. 
and you want to learn those signals. And you can't do it if you're just training by numbers because numbers aren't feelings. And you have to turn some of these numbers off so you can be aware of your feelings. And I'm going to start off with, let's get right into it, with your bike computer. Okay, it is very important to have a bike computer. You could do... You could go on a Zen ride without a bike computer. In fact, a lot of people talk about that, but that's if you've got a known route and you're very sure of it. It's probably not all that long, like an hour. Um, Do that after no bike computer makes sense if you're stressed out and you're just tired of training and you want something different. Just ride with no bike computer. Just going to go out for a ride and get away from all the metrics and the training no more training. You actually just want to go for a ride. Just leave your bike computer at home. Wear, wear a wristwatch. Wrist watch. Keep track of time by, like, what time did you leave? You left at uh, 10 a.m. You're going to go for an hour. Ride out half an hour and then turn around and come back. You know, that's pretty easy. Bring enough water, bring enough food, and you're done. And that's to get away from, you're, you're just sick and tired of training. Maybe you've just had a race. And you want to, you've taken a week off and you kind of want to get back into things, just go for an easy ride. So there's that. Now, if you do have a, if you are riding with a bike computer, which most rides you will, first thing you want highly visible where you can see it. But there's also an argument for hiding the bike computer a little bit. So it's not right in front of you. So you actually have to look for it a little bit, like further back. Um, not right in your line of sight because right in your line of sight does lead to chasing numbers. And again, that leads to bad results. There's a little, a bike is kind of a touchy situation because things that aren't in your line of sight means you have to look uh, away and down and then you um, risk your chance of hitting a pothole and then wrecking. I'm not a big fan of that. I like, I do like having it right in front of me. If your bike computer has multiple screens, I guess you could change the screens. You put this stuff on a different screen. Okay, but let's start off with what you don't have on your bike computer and why. First off, no miles per hour. Ever. Ever. You shouldn't have it on in a race. You shouldn't have it on during a training ride. It does not matter. And that's why you don't want it. It just doesn't matter. Your miles per hour is a result. It is not going to help you during the race to have your current miles per hour. <laughs> and then on top of that, no average speed. It doesn't help you to work out either. No average speed. What that does is it gets you trying too hard too early on. Uh, before you've warmed up, you're trying to keep this average speed. You're constantly comparing your average speed right now versus your best ever average speed that you ever had on that ride or a ride similar to it. And that comparing mind, which is a big trouble in Zen, um, you've probably, that's probably not even the real number. You've probably made up that number in your head of what you possibly could do um, instead of, uh, uh, of what you're actually going to do. So let's say, for example, uh, one ride you did three years ago and you were really lucky that day. You probably hopped up on caffeine and you probably felt, you probably overdid it and, and didn't even know it until the day after or two days later. Um, you averaged 20 miles per hour on this one ride on this route. So 
you're uh, pedaling along and let's say it's like a two hour ride and your, your, uh, your speed is 19 miles an hour or your average speed is 19 miles per hour. You're like, Oh, I got it. I can do 20. I know I can do 20 because you're looking at this 19 miles per hour. It's driving you crazy. You want to do 20. So what you don't realize is you're riding into a slight headwind. Um, you got different tires on. Uh, you've gained 10 pounds. You've done all kinds of different things. Um, uh, today's not the day to go. You're, you're set a PR on the bike, for example. It's just not going to do you any good. And your long-term plan, all these things lead to you. that you, you should not be doing 20 miles per hour right now. But because in your because you're looking at this 20 miles per hour on your bike computer because uh, you can see it you're gonna try to match it or beat it and so many people including myself had a huge jump in results in training and racing by getting rid of that miles per hour it is of no use okay on top of that, Average watts. If you have a power meter on your bike, power is uh, usually read off in watts. And you know, one ride you did is uh, you had a really great ride one time, and you average you averaged 220 watts. And so on this ride, you're going to try to you see that 220 watts. You see your number is 215 watts. You're like, oh man, I got to push harder so I can get up to 220. That's again, you're chasing numbers, which is just bad stuff in training. You, so many pros have taken off uh, average watts and even watts watts, which I'm kind of on the fence about taking off current watts. Um, not so sure about taking those off, but you definitely want to take average watts off because the the beginning, the the average includes your beginning. It it includes coasting and in your mind. You think you should be able to do 220, but it turns out that that 220 that you averaged one ride, well, that was actually for just part of a ride, and it was during a race, and now you're trying to average this 220, and you're killing yourself, and you're digging a hole that's too big, and you're actually damaging yourself, and you're paying so much attention to that, and instead of, um, instead of paying attention to the important things. And let's go over the important things. Um, first is distance. Now, no, let's do the most important thing first. Time elapsed. <laughs> oh, wait. Let's do the most, most important thing. Heart rate. Your heart rate is the number one thing. That's the first thing that people started training by that made a big difference. And uh, still today, it has been proven to be the most essential thing. Um, heart rate can tell you so many things that are helpful. It tells you how hard you're, you're trying. It tells you the effect of the work that is being done on your body. And in the long run, it'll tell you if you're getting dehydrated or not. It'll tell you if you're trying hard enough. Um, it tells you just all kinds of things. It tells you when you're warmed up. It tells you when you're cooked and you should, uh, stop. It, is uh, an amazing thing and it's super cheap nowadays to have and you should not ride go on a long ride without it um, because it tells you that you're in the right zone whatever zone you want to be in well i need to drink some iced tea hold on it's hot here in texas 
So with um, heart rate at the top, you could have it at the top. The next most important thing is time elapsed. So it says, and I like to have mine on auto pause um, when not racing and then turn off the auto pause. Auto pause is where if you come to a stop, it stops the timer. Uh, Turn off the auto pause during races. Um, And what's useful here is I'm going to go out for a three hour ride, right? Well, let's say you're going to do an out and back or you're going to do, yeah, you're going to do a three hour ride. And, um, the reason you do by, um, time is you, you do the right effort for how you feel. And that goes back to not chasing numbers. You do the right effort based on what your body's telling you and how fast you go is how fast you go. There's so many conditions on the bike. They're out of your control. There's the terrain, there's the wind, there's the heat, um, there's uh, weather, all kinds of things that can slow you down or speed you up that aren't related to how, to how hard you're actually trying. You could have different tires on your bike, higher air pressure, lower air pressure, all these things. Um, and those affect your speed regardless of how hard you're training. So time elapsed tells you that's a big thing that matters is you say, I'm going to go out for a three-hour ride. And let's say you can tell you're at two hours and 45 minutes and you're like, man, I think I'm going to get home too fast. You can add on a street. You could get home and then go out out and back again for 15 minutes and add in that uh, 15 minutes you needed so that you get up to uh, you get up to three hours. And I didn't realize how important this was until uh, one of the very early episodes of Zen and Yard of the Tra- Zen and Yard of Triathlon, the probably the first pro that I ever interviewed was Andrea Fisher. And I asked her how what is a typical bike ride for her? And she said, Oh, uh, you know, like three hours. And I said, No, like how many miles? And she said, I don't know. And that blew my mind. I said, what do you mean? (laughs) How do you not know? Because I was riding by miles. Every ride, I was like, I rode 40 miles. I rode 70 miles. I rode 20 miles. I rode 30 miles. And time was like a secondary thing. And she said, no, no, no. What you do is you ride by time. And that way you worked out so much amount of time. And you you look at your workout totals per week as time, I, I rode 40 hours, 40 hours, oh my gosh, I rode um, eight hours this week, I rode 10 hours that week, I rode six hours this week, you know, uh, 15 hours that, that week, and it's the amount of time that you're going at different effort levels that are, that are actually the workout, those are the numbers that actually matter, and your time elapsed helps you on your bike computer to know how much time you've done. And when you get home and you get off your bike and you upload your workout, then you look at um, your average speed and your average watts, things like that, your maximum speed. 
man, I used to look at my average speed and my maximum speed and try to beat them on workouts, and I never got any faster. It was crazy. But she said, uh, yeah, you just do, um, you do by time, and whatever the distance is, the distance is, because the distance isn't your goal. Um, it's once you start doing, uh, you know, by time and time, your cumulative time per week, then time is your goal. And then the other thing though, is you can show your distance on your bike computer. Um, but you're using it as a metric so that you, um, if you're doing an out and back, for example, that uh, you know you want to get in about a 50-something mile ride, right? Uh, or, um, yeah, you want to you wanna go 30 miles out and 30 miles back in. And this is handy if um, you want to know how many miles it is between an aid station. Uh, you know, you could say hit the lap button and... And uh, you got your distance will change as you uh, go into the next one. And it's also nice to know if you're training, you're trying to up your mileage and you're trying to get closer and closer to, say, uh, the 56-mile mark for a half Ironman or the 112-mile mark for a full Ironman. Or, say, even for an Olympic, you know, your upcoming race is like uh, 28 miles or so. You know what it feels like to kind of go those distances. Those distances will feel different on race day because the conditions will be different and the course will be different. So that's why distance isn't exactly the metric that you're looking for. But it is nice to know, um, you know, you've you've done 46 miles. <laughs> you're like, holy crap. I'd have to do 10 more miles of this if this was a half Ironman. Or you go out on a 70-mile bike ride. And you're just like, wow. <laughs> We're talking 42 more miles. 42 more miles. Do, do 70 miles. And then realize it's 42 more miles to do a full Ironman. So it's more of like a perspective check of what it really, really takes to... Um, to put in uh, the distances that you need, but it is definitely not your uh, not your most important. Your most important is heart rate and time. All right, uh, last that you might want to show on your computer is current watts. And the thing is, is when you when you join current watts and heart rate together, that your current watts is the work that you're putting out. And your heart rate is how your body's reacting to the current work that you're putting out. There's a little bit of lag with heart rate of um, 5 to 20 seconds or so. But, and then on your watts, you do 3-second average. There's a choice. Don't do like current, current watts. You do the actual 3-second average. So there's a little bit of a lag. But it's very tiny. And what's, what that's telling you is if your heart rate is low compared to the watts that you're putting out, then that's a signal that your body is starting to drag. Um, and you have to compare it against rides where you felt okay. And, and remember those, those numbers a little bit. If your heart rate starts climbing higher and higher and higher the longer you go into the ride at the same watts, 
and maybe your watts start fading, but your heart rate starts climbing and climbing, that is dehydration, right? And you wouldn't know that without the watts and the heart rate together. If uh, you're, uh, and it's because your blood, without the without enough hydration in your blood, um, your heart has to work harder to get your blood pumping around because your blood's thicker. And so to do the same or less work, your heart has to pound faster and that's dehydration. So if you're used to riding 200 watts and your heart rate being 130 beats per minute, then um, and your heart rate starts climbing to 135, 140, 145 to get out 200 watts, 195 watts, your watts start dropping, but your heart rate starts going up, then you know that you are under hydrating and you're going to be in big trouble later on in the bike and on the run. Um, if your heart rate uh, is dropping and your watts are dropping, that means that you're, um, you're under-fueled. You're not getting enough calories to your muscles. So you're just not getting enough energy. That's dropping your heart rate. And proof that you're not getting enough energy is the watts is um, not being pushed out like it's supposed to. So you can see that those two together, heart rate, current watts, and time elapsed, you can have awesome workouts. And your goal this week is to ride so many more hours than last week, another half an hour, another hour, whatever you want, of, um, of whatever efforts. Okay, now some tips on the ride. And I'll bring those to you after my lunch break here. We're going to come to you next from the News and Tri Studios at my house. Be back in just a minute. Out. All right, we are back. We are in the Zentri home studios. Got a little bit of echo in here. Gonna work on that. We got we're moved in with all the uh, training room stuff, and we've got the family's worth of uh, medals. I'm in. I'm sitting in the corner in an office chair that leans back. No desk. Just sitting with a laptop in my lap. And to my uh, right, uh, we've got. Uh, a family's worth of medals of stuff over the years, race numbers and things, uh, Emily puts up. And to uh, my left, we got some more stuff and some uh, uh, bike gear and even a little one of those things. Does it say Iron Man on it? And more of like the medals and, I mean, the uh, trophy kind of things. I got an escape from Alcatraz. I, uh 100 mile trail run and a whole ton of stuff and Kai's is my son my 12 year old son his stuff is starting to build up and some fun stuff some bicycle art and some pictures and then on the uh the far walls we've got um Emily framed my escape from Alcatraz stuff because uh, swimming from Alcatraz to shore uh, for me growing up in Texas I mean, as a kid, already the Clint Eastwood movie was a little bit old. Um, and uh, my dad made um, work trips to uh, San Francisco a couple times, I think. And he brought back T-shirts that said uh, Alcatraz Athletic Club <laughs> or Alcatraz Swim Team or something like that. My brother and I used to wear these shirts. But if you're of a certain age and also um, don't live near San Francisco, then uh, you think Alcatraz is unswimmable. And then when I found out that actually uh, people swim it often, 
uh, when I was about uh, 28 or 30 years old. I put that on my bucket list. Man, I would love to do that someday if I could. And then uh, a couple days or the week of the uh, Kima Triathlon, I learned it was a qualifier for Alcatraz. If you got... Uh, my age group had two or three slots, maybe two slots. And if uh, you did well enough uh, in your age group, then you could go. You still had to pay, but you were given the opportunity to pay, kind of like Kona, to uh, go to Alcatraz. And with almost no notice, I busted my ass in that race and got second, I think, in the 30 to 39 age group in a big, big triathlon and, um, ocean swim, well, Galveston Bay swim. And, uh, then I ended up going to Alcatraz and swimming that I ended up meeting Jamie Patrick, sat down with him. Um, cause I'd already known Rich Roll and they were friends. And then what did we do? Oh, then ended up swimming across Lake Tahoe, which is the other framed artwork. Uh, photos and stuff newspaper article um first texan to swim across lake tahoe 22 miles i've got the goggles from that swim hanging from the wall they are in capital letters not to be touched (laughs) when we're digging around looking for spare goggles because we can't find any those uh stay there they don't they don't go anywhere and some pictures uh when i came out of the water Kai, uh, Morgan, my buddy Morgan said, Hey Kai, Kai was like six or something. And he said, Kai, your dad just swam across that. He just swam 22 miles. And he pointed at the other shore and Kai goes, no, he didn't. (laughs) Nothing like kids to keep you in line. Anyway, I'd like to get some more. um... Oh, there's a photo for me in a 5k fun run when I was nine years old. And that's where it all began. I did not win, and that made me so mad. I got fourth. I missed podium, and for the rest of my life, it, I think that's what eats me up. Oh, there's a signed photo of me with um, Hillary Biscay, who is awesome. And I love people that make a business out of triathlon. I love that. And make a business out of a, something that you love, that's fun, and gets people to be better people, healthier, fitter, all that. Instead of making widgets that just cause cancer or something. But anyway, hey, if you want to check out a podcast, check out Tangently Speaking. Latest episode's not so great. Um, Well, the intro's not so great. The guy's uh, voice is kind of messed up. But a worldly guy, very cool. Running a lot of his guests I've followed and um, dug those. Again, Tangently Speaking. And Brian Callen, Callen. He was pool boy on uh, Mad TV a long time ago and other things. Um, it's mixed, instead of mixed martial arts, it's mixed mental arts. Learned a lot listening to some of the longer, longer episodes with a guy named Hunter Mate, Hunter Maths or something like that. Very good, very, very deep stuff. And I'm starting to collect some deep thoughts so I can do a podcast on deep thoughts um, as they occur. And I'll have uh, maybe next episode I'll do that. I just realized I had one and I should have done a whole episode on these now that I got enough. But we're halfway through this uh, biking thing. But speaking of biking, which 
gets us speaking of triathlon, which gets us speaking of Ironman races. There's a little bit of news. Let's throw in some news here. Just one little thing. Where'd it go? I just had it pulled up. Ironman announced... Oh, here it is. Ironman announced a race in Finland, a 70.3. It's got an evening start, late afternoon start, and the finish time is around midnight. But because it's either at or north of the Arctic Circle, the sun doesn't go down, and... How's it possible if the world is flat? And let's see, it's Finland's eighth largest city, 120,000 people. It's called Lati, L-A-H-T-I, Nordic country of Finland. Um, Be on your toes. Russia is on the verge of always saying they want it back. They declare it's there sometimes. It's petty crap right there. And... Let's see, they got a list of stars, got a ski, former world-class soccer player, ski jumper, some some Finns, Finnish folks. And that's a very unique, very, very cool. If I had the means to get there, um, I would totally do that for the experience. 50 age group qualifying spots for the 70.3 World Championship. Uh, 70.3s are definitely the way to go for most of your races. You can finish, be done in a day, and recover in a few more days and be back to living your life um, without killing yourself and training like an Ironman. You could do an Ironman once a year, maybe, maybe, every other year. I don't know. Something like that. Have a plan. And anyway, let's see. Do we have a date? June 30th, 2018. That's not even this year. Why are we talking about this? This may not even happen. Oh, man, I got a coworker that's all worked up over getting on a flight. She's doing the fretting thing. Oh, what if I can't sit next to my uh, boyfriend? I'm like, are the tickets made yet? No? Okay, well, don't worry about that yet. Don't worry about things that, that haven't happened yet. What if the plane gets diverted and then we don't make the wedding? Has the plane been diverted? No? Oh, well, then don't worry about that yet. <laughs> and believe me, if somebody knows Zen, it's her. Uh, her dad is, I can't even begin uh, to go into um, what this guy knows. We might have him on the show sometime uh, once things settle down a little bit with with, uh, with the Zen Try move. All right, so let's go ahead and get back to... The ride, how to ride in a Zen way. So you got your bike all set up.com and you're showing heart rate, current watts, distance, and time elapsed. I like showing time of day because then it tells me when to put on sunscreen. You know, it starts to be around 10, 11 o'clock, 10, 30, not 11, 10, 10, 30. Start putting on sunscreen every hour or so. I mean, every two hours is kind of what I do, hour and a half. Put on sunscreen while you're biking, man. That's a skill to learn and while moving um but you don't have your miles per hour no average speed no average watts because those will get you to overtrain. not necessary and not necessary in a race okay now riding first thing is for 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 a longer ride um the longer ride itself is enough of a workout once you start getting up to around two, three hours, um, there is no point in going harder here and harder there. 
Um, the length of, the, of that workout for most people is plenty all on its own. You don't need to do extra stuff. <laughs> An hour workout, sure, you know, mix in some intervals and stuff. But once you start going along, the length of the workout is the workout. It's totally fine. You can mix in a little bit of here and there. But in general, what you want to do is on flattish ground, uh, your and and also with a tailwind or downhill, keep your heart rate below your MAF. And MAF, M-A-F, is your maximum aerobic function. And I like to say threshold. <laughs> I don't know why I picked that up as a tick. But uh, Phil Maffetone, who's, I think I had him on this show, said uh, you take 180, subtract your age. And that is, on average, about the breaking point of when you go from aerobic to anaerobic and you start panting and uh, burning up muscle, uh, burning up glycogen instead of burning fat, and you become very inefficient. And um, that's on a longer ride. That's not what you need to be training. So it's super easy. I'm 43. So I would do 180 minus, uh, 43. That gets me in the 136, 137. If you've been doing triathlon for a long time and you're really fit, then you can add a few more beats, like five, maybe 10 beats. Uh, so that gets me up to around 140. And, uh, so I keep it around 140. I mean, well, I keep it below 140. Just cruising along, keeping along 140. Uh, and actually, it's more like I would take 10 beats down from that. 10 beats below your math, your 180 minus your age. And that, and that is just cruising along. You should be able to do that lots, a long time throughout the day, um, hours on end. And if your legs start to get sore, you're either undertrained or your gearing is too heavy, like too big of a gear. So you're having to push too hard. So you need to learn to spin a little bit lighter of a gear, you know, like 80, between 82 and 85 RPM. And you can just pedal like that all day long. But the reality is out there in the wilds, the, um, it's not flat. It's not downhill. It's uphill. And it's into the wind half the time. In fact, it might be a little bit more of the time if you do it statistically because you cover um, easier territory faster and harder territory takes longer. But anyway, that's something that we can get into. When the train, one train leaves the station 40 miles per hour one way, kind of crap. But you pedal slightly harder going uphill. There was a there was a scientific in inquisition where finally people tried to sit down and figure out this was I was following the Tour de France stuff uh, 10 years ago. And they said is it fast what is the what is the fastest way to cover ground on a uh, real terrain outside. And they did all kinds of studies and showed, you know, the testing and everything. The fastest way to go from point A to point B over rolling terrain, hills, you know, all that stuff, over real earth is to go slightly harder uphill. And the more steep it goes, um, the harder to go uphill, but just a little bit, you know, 2% grade, go slightly harder, 4% grade, go a little bit harder than that. And you start getting up 6% grade, start going a lot, you know, pretty hard, but the steeper the grade, the more rare it is. But anyway, go slightly harder uphill and slightly easier than average than you would uh, on flat ground going downhill. And it's 
just it's very moderate because you're actually doing it more than you think you are. If you had a power meter on, you'd notice you're actually doing it more than you think you are. So don't try all that hard pushing too hard on the uphill. Another thing is when you are going over the hill, don't let don't let up on your pressure until you crest the hill and start coming downhill and you get back up to your cruising speed. And that's when you're done with the hill. You crest work on cresting the hills cuz imagine Worst case scenario, you get to the top of the hill and you let up. Well, now you're going like one mile per hour. You're at the top of the hill. Well, one mile per hour sucks. There's no point to that. So you want to go a little bit harder um, as, you're, as you're cresting and get back up to speed. And then on the downhill, once you hit about 28 miles per hour on the downhill, maybe 30 miles per hour, there's really not much to be gained by continuing the pedal. You're actually better off um, coasting. And when you coast, just do an arrow tuck as early as you can get and rest while you're uh, cruising downhill. I've tested. I've got this regular route that I ride all the time, and it is amazing the difference. And, yeah, so you coast on the steeper downhills once you get up to a significant amount of speed. There's no point pedaling because the air resistance from going that speed is so thick that it's just not going to help. Okay, when you go uphill, you can let your heart rate go above your math number. In my case, like 140. And um, I was debating about telling you all my FTP, but I don't want to get into my stuff too much. But um, then you, uh, you work uh, going uphill and let your heart rate get pretty close to your math and even over your math number but not too crazy. Keep it under control. Uh, maybe 10 beats over your math number um, if it's a longer hill. And uh, then crest the hill. And then um, cruise back downhill. And I've done this during Ironmans. I've done it during long bike rides. And the, um, the, num- the, the, the difference is absolutely incredible. You have like a lower heart rate. You've mixed in rest with your ride. And uh, you can keep going and keep going. It's really nice. But the big thing that is a breakthrough that takes you to the next level is this uh, slightly harder, slightly easier to coast, even to nothing. It's a slightly harder than average, you know, a little bit of a light. I wouldn't even, on a longer ride, I wouldn't even do burn. But if you're doing intervals, you know, you do like a little bit of burn and then a little bit of easy back and forth. This back and forth is kind of like, uh, polarized training where people say either you're going kind of hard or you're not going very hard at all kind of and no in between because what this does is the harder efforts stresses your body right and you got to stress your body enough if you're doing just kind of medium it doesn't really stress your body all that much but if you uh, stress your body enough with a little bit harder then the stress uh, signals your body oh crap it tears muscle fibers just the tiniest bit it's good and um, your body goes, oh, I need to improve. That, this is scary. <laughs> ah, I need to get better. And then um, what happens, though, is on your, as you're coasting downhill, for example, or you're back on flat ground, you got a little bit of tailwind, and you're riding a little bit easier, right, in this fat-burning zone. You're able, you're able to, like, totally recover on your downhill, and uh, you're pedaling along easy. What this does on the bike is it allows blood flow and nutrition 
uh, oxygen, all that stuff, and recovery in general just to get back to your legs. And now your legs are primed and ready again. And then what happens is, is when you do the next uphill and you apply some effort or the next end of the wind section and you apply some pretty serious effort, it allows you, because you've recovered, it allows you to apply that harder than average effort, you know, like 90% effort, 80, eh, 80 to 90% effort, right? Let's say that. And that's enough, again, to signal your body, oh, man, we need to work on getting stronger, you know, so that when you take a break for a couple of days, your legs are going to get stronger. And um, you wouldn't be able to go that hard, that 80 to 90%, right, unless you took a break on the, on the downside, unless you had that, that trough, the peak and the trough, and the peak and the trough. And so what that trough does is it allows you to rest and recover so that you can have a peak for a few minutes, you know, about a hill climb that's in the 80 to 90% range. And let's say instead you did like 70% for two hours, three hours. Well, you never really signal your legs, your legs enough to improve because it's not 80 or 90%, right? And also you never, because you never give it enough rest uh, to, to get the, get the energy back into your legs to do an 80 or 90% because you're always at 70%, you know? So you're getting a C and what's actually makes your legs smarter or more powerful is to have, you know, an A and a B and then a day off. <laughs> Think about that. Or like, uh, like a few minutes rest and then an A and a B, these are like grades, uh, uh, on a test, A and a B, and then some rest, and then an A and a B, and then some rest. And if you just go consistently without um, letting up, then you're just getting C, 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 and then you never get smarter. Your legs never get stronger. That's the trick. All right. The other thing that's really important is if you think about it, the thing that actually slows you down when you're riding your bike is hills or headwinds. Uh, flat ground, you can get up to a nice normal speed and cruise along pretty good, especially if you're in the aero position. doesn't take much work to uh, cover a lot of ground. And uh, downhills, of course, super easy. When you're out there riding, the problem that is actually slowing you down are the hills. Same thing in running. And it's on the hills that if, if you make your legs stronger, you can do hill after hill after hill without really feeling it. Let's say you were, you were doing a, a race and you wanted to kind of save your legs, right, for the run. Then hill after hill after hill, you can just blow through them because you're used to doing that 80 to 90% and your legs have gotten stronger and stronger and stronger, right? All right, we are back. I had to... Uh, Pause there for a second. Emily came in with Kai. Got a little bit of coffee going here. Brought him in fresh from his uh, kids' triathlon practice, which is pretty good. And uh, his bathroom is the uh, room right next to the uh, Zentri Studios here, so you might be able to hear a shower running. It's Kai's cleaning up. A little bit of white white noise. Never hurt anybody. And uh, just like real triathlon, we got to keep going. Uh, no worrying about what other people think too much. 
got to get things done. All right, let's see. We had, um, uh, it's the hills that truly slow you down. So the better you get on hills, um, the more uh, speed you'll be able to carry as you go through your day uh, out there, either on your train and ride or your, um, or your uh, race. And it's the Zen thing. We always say, uh, work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. That's actually where that comes from. Um, if you want, a handy thing is to look on a hill profile for your race or for your ride and count up how many significant hills you have and then treat them kind of like intervals. You know, uh, you could say, my ride has eight big hills or 10 big hills or 20 big hills or three big hills. And then when you go out, keep in mind that number. You know, that kind of puts things in perspective so you don't go uh, too hard. You got 20 more of these and you want to finish uh, feeling not completely cooked because you want to keep training tomorrow, then um, remember that as you're on hill number one, <laughs> riding with a group and everybody's charging up the hill. And uh, you're always wondering why, why everybody in the group never uh, gets any faster. That's uh, why, is you're going too hard up some of the stuff. All right, now we got some uh, fuel tips to uh, keep things uh, super simple. And Zen out there on your bike ride is the easiest thing to do is put all the fuel. You can fit all the fuel you need for three hours in one water bottle. You can make up a three-hour water bottle. Uh, mostly maltodextrin works. Doesn't bother your stomach. So you can pour your gels, you know, whatever you want. You can do your fuel in one water bottle. If you're doing like Amrita bars or something like that, you can put those in your pocket. And then also with a little bit of extra. Eat a little bit less than you think you need, but also carry a little bit extra and eat on a timing interval. And notice that when you're going uphill, going kind of hard, actually your food doesn't want to digest. If once your heart rate gets close to math, then your stomach will shut down and uh, stuff will back up. If you find yourself going too hard, you can't digest food because your stomach blood is going to your legs instead. And the food you do want to digest just sits there and make you sick, eventually uh, make you puke. But you can eat on a timer. Take a sip of fuel every 10 minutes or so and try to work your way through that bottle. If, I got a, if I'm going out for a three-hour ride, and I always use a clear bottles or bottles that have a clear uh, stripe on them. And then I can say, oh, I am one-third through this bottle, right? And no more. And that's one hour into a three-hour ride. I'm one-third done, right? And you can just keep sipping as you go and then follow it with water, lots of water. And then um, you'll actually feel really, really good. And you'll have a nice, consistent um, fuel supply. And actually bring a little bit more food than what you think you need. And that way you won't be uh, afraid to go through it all. And also, if uh, and then that way you'll keep yourself fueled nice and well. And if you um, notice that if you burp, that means your food's not digesting, and you should skip one of your intervals, one of your ten-minute feeding intervals, or um, maybe even a couple of them, until you quit burping, and then plus some, and that'll uh, get your food to go to pass through like it was supposed to. And then you, you need to remember that, and it's probably, you probably didn't drink enough water or you're going too hard. So um, then you need to remember that you didn't uh, eat for 20 minutes or so, or 30 minutes, and that's going to impact your output. 
So back off a little bit because of the mistake that you made. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you uh, learn from it and don't propagate it. And uh, on the topic of water, carry more water than you need. I've noticed that if you're going for a ride and you have only enough, barely enough water, that actually you won't drink enough water because you're trying to uh, preserve what you have and not go through it too, throw, through it too fast. And you're going to um, avoid drinking your water. And then you get dehydrated because uh, it's human tendency to keep a little bit of reserve of water just in case. Like you have a breakdown and then you're out there for two hours. So you like having a little bit of water to sip on. And so carry extra, even more water, like half a water bottle or more than what you need. Um, I like having a camelback of water and then a water bottle. And... Um, I've got, if I, if I happen to go through an entire Camelback, then I've got an extra water bottle to carry me through until I get to a uh, water resupply. And then I've noticed that when you do that, when you have extra water, a little bit more water than what you actually need, then you're not afraid to drink the amount of water that you do need. Works out uh, really well. And let's see, here are the extras. We're going to wrap up this thing with a, a few extras. Um, Arrow position. I've done a lot of testing with this, and you are significantly faster the longer you stay in arrow position. If you stayed in arrow position all the time for the entire ride, you will average a mile per hour or so faster. And the thing is, it's uh, most of us. Uh, I would say most of us, half of us, don't have our bike position set up to be comfortable in the arrow position, and that'll work against you. And the, uh, so the thing is, is get your, get your bike position comfortable. It should feel like an old pair of jeans is what I say. Old pair of jeans, hand-me-down jeans that are already so broken in. I have an older brother and, um, I used to get his jeans, um, when he was done with them. Um, and we're two and a half years apart. So man, when he was done with them, they were done. <laughs> and then I'd get them. And they are so soft and nice, man. And that's what it should feel like. Jeans like that. That's what your bike positions should feel like so that you can um, uh, be feel relaxed and no pressure. Um, it's just as comfortable or more comfortable in the arrow position than sitting up. Because in the arrow position, you're sitting on your elbows like you're watching TV propped up with your hand, your chin supported by your hands is what it should feel like. And you're kicking your feet like you're watching uh, Star Wars or something. It's just fun to be in the arrow position and not uncomfortable. And it's possible. It's totally, totally possible. Just uh, raise your bars just a tiny bit, lower your seat just a tiny bit, and boom, you're there. It's really good. And um, if you want to lower your bike position, your front end, you can do it like a half a centimeter at a time over the period of a, a few weeks. And then you'll barely notice it, and then you'll get there. And let's see. Now, there are strategic times to sit up. You sit up if you got a strong tailwind, and you sit up when you're going uphill and your speed's below, I think it's like 14 miles an hour. Then uh, being in the air position doesn't matter all that much. And so you can, what you have to do is you have to be able to strategically be able to stay in the arrow position uh, for long periods of time. So let's say you're riding into, into a headwind for an hour, you know, in general. Uh, 
and the uh, it's you, you got to learn to be in the error position for an hour, but you're going to be you got to keep telling yourself, I'm going to be out of the arrow position for half an hour, you know, uh, riding back. So sacrifice yourself. Be like, man, I've. I know it sucks, but keep in the arrow position. Stay in the arrow position, and it'll be worth it because when you actually turn around and ride back or when you're going downhill, um, then that's when, um, not when you're going downhill, when you're riding uphill, a steeper uphill, that's when you uh, sit upright. And, uh, yeah, you just you got to endure some, some ugly to uh, get the easy breaks every once in a while. And let's see, um, one of the last things is ride a little bit easier than you think you should, especially at the beginning. Um, Don't apply your effort too much, hardly at all, on the flat ground, especially on the downhills. Save your extra effort, your extra 10, 20% when you're going uphill instead and only on the uphills. And um, this is the best way to up your overall power. to improve yourself to your next level of stuff. It's, you're doing intervals out there, basically. And um, another thing is about training with other people and, and or listening to music. So to apply all the stuff that I've been telling you, if you're riding in a group, you're going, it's, it's, it's a disaster in the making. You're always trying to keep up with the other person. You're always trying to show off to the other person. You're trying to beat the other person. You're trying to draft off the other person. Your variability, if you looked at a graph of your heart rate and of your power output, it instead of being uh, gentle up and down and up and down and up and down, doing that consistent harder, easier, harder, easier, your graph's going to be all over the place. It's going gonna, it's gonna to look like a shotgun of just craziness and long periods of trying way too hard, trying to keep up with the group. Um, Long periods of not trying hard enough because you're um, you're uh, with a group that's going slow, or somebody's got a flat tire and you got to stop and wait on them um, because they're not checking their tires for glass before rides, or they're not taking care of their own stuff. And um, the really really good athletes, triathletes, um, ride a lot of their rides solo um, most i'd say 95 percent of their rides solo and that way they get in the uh, workout that they need um and then what you do is you check in with your group on occasion on a uh, on a group ride to kind of catch up on what's going on with everybody but then uh, say hey i'm gonna turn down this road and i'm gonna go ride this way for a while you know <laughs> and uh learn to be self-sufficient out there it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, I hear people on race reports go, I was all alone out there on that Ironman course. It was terrible. There's nobody. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Riding by yourself is, oh, it's the best, dude, because you can listen. It's the Zen thing. You can listen to what your body's saying finally instead of all the racket of everybody talking and you, it's, you're being reactive uh, when you're riding with other people instead of proactive and you're doing their workout, their, their stuff, you know, and, uh, you could do a ride with a group, a short ride with a group that's faster than you, uh, once every couple of weeks or so to really push you to get you to the next level. But that's kind of where I, I draw the line. Um, 
The other thing is music. Um, I do listen to headphones where I ride. It totally depends on um, your riding environment and how safe it is. I tend to ride when I ride outdoors. I ride on uh, quiet country roads, got a car every 10 minutes or something like that, if that. And so I can wear headphones and not really worry about it so much. Um, But I've learned that if you want to go out for a Zen ride and you want to listen to your body and do the right thing, it is a bad idea to listen to fast-paced music. And even worse than that is wall-of-sound music because then you can't hear cars. Um, smart, for sure, to wear one headphone um, if you're going to listen to music at all. But what's better is talk Um like talk radio kind of stuff, talk podcasts like this. And what that does is, um, if you're listening to fast paced music, so say you're listening to eighties rock, you know, hair metal, ACDC and white snake and, uh, guns and roses. Let's say for example, stone temple pilots, then, um, yeah, how's bow? You know, <laughs> that kind of crap. Jim, uh, wait, I, man. When I get when I go swim in the morning, the locker room is right next to the weightlifting room of the big gym, and uh, I gotta listen to that weightlifting music. They have not changed it since the '80s, man. When I was a kid in the '80s, and we were weightlifting the same stuff, dude. Oh my god. Anyway, um, that kind of stuff is um, pump you up kind of music that gets you going. You start going to the beat, and you start going faster and faster. You start trying too hard, and you're not listening to your body anymore. You're listening too much to the music. So what I found is um, rap music's pretty good because it's got kind of a slower beat. And um, uh, down-tempo music is a genre of music. is really cool because it's got this mellow, relaxing beat. And then if you do listen to music and not talk, music like um, rap and down-tempo and maybe slower pop music, but anyway, it has gaps in the sound. Boom, 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 like that. The gaps in the sound allow other sounds to come through. And those other sounds are things like a car coming up behind you. But if you're listening to a wall of sound that's like Bon Jovi, where the guitar, Poison, where the guitars are wailing and um, there's keyboard, what, the final countdown. Do 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 do. It's got the guy singing and the keyboard and the drums and the the um, the bass guitar and the wailing guitar solo all playing at once. You can't hear a goddamn thing. And there's uh, cars coming up behind you and you never know it. It's really dangerous stuff to listen to. But if you listen to rap or um, down tempo. And you can probably think of uh, reggae, maybe, and uh, talk radio. Then there's these gaps in the sound, and you can uh, you can listen to music. And also, that stuff's not so fast paced that you can enjoy uh, a little bit of sound to keep you company out there, and um, be uh, be uh, writing and listening to your body. And I can tell you, man, one thing that's fantastic is audiobooks. I go out for a three-hour ride, and I listen to an audiobook on productivity, self-improvement, uh, motivation, um, 
I listen to interviews, uh, triathlon podcast interviews. Uh, oh, man, it just goes on and on. And you can learn something while being out on a bike ride. I feel like I've got a PhD in like six different subjects because <laughs> of all the crazy podcasts that I've listened to over the years. Um, because of uh, the stuff I listen to on long bike rides. So you're improving your mind while you're improving your body at the same time. It is really, really cool stuff. Okay. Um, also, the thing about group riding, I got a note here. Ride alone and learn to love it. Learn not to react to other people. Ride, learn to ride your own, uh, your own body to your own body signals. And then during a race, you'll do the right thing. And uh, you'll quit reacting to the other people and uh, do the wrong thing in a race and blow up. And, um, yeah, you'll never learn to manage yourself riding with other people. It's a good lesson in life, too. Don't do what you need to do, not what other people are doing. Uh, To increase, very last thing, to increase your long ride. So let's say... Let's go big. Let's say uh, you want to do your Ironman. I, I still do this trick. No matter, I've done 15 Ironmans, I think. Uh, my next Ironman, what I'm going to do, I did this for my last one. And uh, it, it works great, man. Start off with uh, whatever your longest ride is right now. Say it's uh, two hours, right? Add 15 minutes next weekend. Two hours, 15 minutes. In four weeks, one month, you're up to three hours imperceptibly. You know, maybe you could add even a little bit more. You kind of go by feel. But you add a little bit of time to each ride. That's it. That's all you got to do is just add a little bit of time. And, dude, 15 minutes longer than your last ride is, than your last long ride the week before, is so easy that you'll barely, barely, barely notice it. And the change is so slight that you'll be prepared for it because you've learned from your last ride what not to do this ride. <laughs> oh, man, I need more water. Oh, man, avoid that road. That road sucked. Um, oh, there was this other little road I could add on. And Dude, adding 15 minutes is like super, super easy. You just add on another section of road, you know, over here, a little out and back over there, add a little bit longer a loop. And... And, uh, you know, like training for an Ironman, uh, honestly, that's like a, a six-month build, you know. So you can, go from, you can go from three hours to five hours in two months. And honestly, once you get up to about five hours, uh, there's, there's um, questionable value in going longer than that. That tears you down more than it builds you. But maybe you could. It kind of depends on where you are in your experience and... Um, Honestly, you know, shocking yourself with a, a 105 mile ride, you know, to be like, whoa, holy crap, and give you some confidence and some familiarity with, with doing it. You can do a 115 mile ride, go longer than the distance, um, just to prove to yourself that uh, what it feels like. Familiarize yourself with what it feels like when you finish. And that's it. That's how to bike Zen. I know that's a lot of stuff. But it actually all comes back to uh, listening to your body, um, getting rid of chasing numbers, getting rid of uh, chasing other people, getting rid of walls of sound where you can't hear what your body's telling you, Um, sticking with what's real, 
is a big thing in Zen. Ask yourself, what's true right now? <laughs> you can't ask yourself that if you're uh, if you're going around chasing everything, carrying a little bit extra of the uh, of the important stuff, so that you don't hold back from using the important stuff because you're worried about running out of it. You know, uh, we go a whole lot into uh, carrying a cell phone. Oh. Um, so you say, well, how am I going to know my um, my average miles per hour and uh, what else? My average watts and stuff like that. Well, when you come in from your ride, sit down, have a nice cold beer or whatever your uh, enjoyment uh, beverage is to cool down. Upload your workout and then look at it then. Uh, Rich Roll mentioned in his book, uh, Finding Ultra, and then finish his workout, come down... Love to sit down and look at all the numbers. That's the time you do it. Look at all the numbers. Look at it afterwards. Look where you know the tough parts were, where you cracked and all that stuff. But do it after, not during. Just keep it even during. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that's, that's a good place to leave it. Um, except for um, when I was doing the SOS triathlon. Uh, survival of the Shaw and Gunks in in uh, upstate New York. I had a interview with one of the winners and asked him for advice. And he said, "Finish the bike thinking you should have gone harder. <laughs> That's the right amount." And I did, and I did it two or three times. And the time that I did that is the very first time before I got some ego thinking that I could actually go faster. It was actually probably my best result. I, uh, I went, I made sure that when I finished the bike that I had, um, that I was regretting how, how I did not go harder. And um, it's an up, up the mountain bike ride. You finish, you climb a mountain on your bike first, and then it's a 20 mile trail run. Uh, through rolling, very rolling, uh, hilly terrain. And boy, was I glad. It's got a mountaintop finish on a peak that overlooks. Uh, I think you can see four states from up that thing. And it was so nice. Um, had a fantastic race. I did really well. I was really happy and um, improved from it because I didn't go too hard. Because I listened to my body. Because I was able to listen to my body because of all of this Zen stuff that we've been practicing over all these years. All right, cool. Well, let's um take a break from this, and I think we'll pick up here in a second with uh, cards and letters. Read some emails from some people. Hold on. Welcome to the next level. We are back for some cards and letters, just a couple, and some donations and some sponsor notes. Let's see. I'm in a beautiful city park, actually in my car. Let's uh, roll down the windows. Maybe we'll hear some birds. There's a freeway uh, a few hundred yards away. I doubt we'll hear that, though. Let's turn it up. I can hear that. Hear the car keys. Welcome to the soundscape. <laughs> One of the first great things about podcasting is bringing people the audio of what's going on. All right, we have emails. 
and sponsors. Let me pull this up right here. I was checking out um, uh, UCAN. UCAN is a super starch. And let's see, I take it frequently before I go swim. It seems to me to be the ultimate uh, swimming fuel. And what a super starch is uh, their patented name. UCAN is U C A N. And um, it's their patented uh, uh, name for this very, very slow release starch. And what happens is you can take, you know, 100, 200 calories of this stuff uh, before you go work out. You give it about half an hour to, um, to digest. And uh, like, so on the way to the pool, I'll eat it. And uh, it'll, it'll uh, slowly, slowly convert to energy while you swim. And uh, the cool thing is, is you're doing a, a swim. You can't stop. You know, unlike run, even running, but uh, definitely cycling, you know, cycling, you can, you can pedal along and you can fuel while you're doing 20, 25 miles an hour. You can fuel downhill doing 40 miles an hour if you want. But swimming, if you want to eat, you got to stop. <laughs> and also, I've got to say, like, you're in the ocean and you get fuel on you, like sugary stuff, or I don't know, if you eat a piece of beef jerky and it's kind of like in your mouth, around on your lips and stuff, what's going to keep a shark from coming and eating your face off? You don't want that. So you can, you can preload before a workout. So a lot of times I take it on my way to the pool and uh, with uh, some water. And then the next thing you know, you got a nice, good workout going on. You just don't want to mess with fuel. You take it ahead of time. And uh, it's a discount code here given to us by them. Discount code of Zentri. Gets you 15% off. And I actually need to order some. They got a whole bunch of different flavors and good stuff. And they also have bars and all kinds of neat things. And let's see, I've been having a lot of fun with my Sunto uh, Spartan wristwatch and doing lots of runs with that. You can follow me on Instagram and see pictures on Strava. I'm Zen Triathlon, I think. And the uh, on Twitter, on the Twitter nets, I'm uh, Zen Triathlon. And you can see pictures of my Sunto Spartan Ultra with the wrist wrist uh, heart rate. I've pretty much gotten a, almost completely away from wearing a heart rate strap entirely. <laughs> I just don't want to wear it, man. Because, uh, especially running, I run with that. It's hot here in Texas, so I run without a shirt. It's humid. And uh, running along with a heart rate strap on makes you look kind of like a goofball. And I don't need that shit. So, I uh, like wearing the, um, the watch that has the heart rate built into it. It's pretty neat. It's cool to look down and see your heart rate without um, without having to wear a chest strap and then rinsing the chest strap off and changing batteries in the chest strap. Sunto watch lasts a long time, like four days before between charges. And they have an Ultra that uh, has no wristwatch or uh, heart rate in it, and um, but it's got a longer battery life. And that's a really cool one too. I've got one of each, and I love them. Check them out, Sunto. And before we read any more sponsors, let's get to the good stuff. Let me scroll down here. We have email. Where'd they go? Ermerger. Ermerger. Donations. Okay. You can go to the left side of zentrathlon.com, along with all the episodes, back, back and forth and back and forth, years of stuff. There are also links on the left side to donate to... Uh, Zentri, you can do a one-time donation. You can do a recurring donation. It's all done by PayPal. It's super easy. I mean, how could you not? 
And you get my email address. And you get my email address. You can send me an email. I'll answer your questions. A lot of times I read them on the air. I got one from somebody recently said, this is not for on the air. <laughs> I was like, cool. Uh, but let's... Uh, oh. You can help support the show. The show takes a lot of time, hours and hours and hours, to put together one show. That bird you hear is a grackle, by the way, which have completely overtaken uh, Central Texas. And beautiful birds are the mockingbirds. They do, um, they imitate all kinds of bird calls, and they're beautiful. And there's this other kind of bird that's kind of like a crow that just does this horrible sound. Uh, that's him right there. Maybe you can hear that. But they, they go, <laughs> He flew away. Good. He's guarding his trash can. And you can send a donation. I'll read your email on the air. Or if you got a training question, like this is both. From Kurt F. Hey, Brett, exclamation point. Quick question, period. I can swim a 120 pace per 100. For... 100. <laughs> so for like one 100, he can swim a 120 pace. That's uh, and then a smiley face. That's fine. And my longer sets are approximately a 140 per 100. That's still decent. And uh, slightly more the longer I go past 800 yards. Okay, so if you're fading after 800 yards, um, you can do better than that, man. I know you can. I believe in you. Uh, fading at 800 just means that um, you're either trying too hard. Or you need to train more past 800 yards. 1,600. Why not? Why not do 2,000 yards and find a pace that's uh, sustainable for the whole thing and uh, don't fade? But that's not even really his question. 140 is still pretty good, man. I dig that. Uh, what is the best way to incorporate speed sets to achieve longer sustainable speed? Like, say, for example, past 800 yards. How do I find my optimal arm speed turnover cadence? Okay, you can Google a lot of stuff on uh, cadence online. Turns out the, um, the, the faster you go uh, and also the shorter your arms are, the higher your natural, effective, uh, good, you know, useful cadence will be. That's uh, pretty normal, and that's because... Uh, long arms are kind of like having long legs. Uh, you cover more distance, and you have to pull these things through the water. So people with longer arms don't need to have as high a cadence, and uh, people with short arms both need a higher cadence to get more pull through the water, but also a higher cadence doesn't bother them because there's less arm, less mass to pull through the water in a circle anyway. So it's not that bad. So the answer to your question is it kind of depends. It depends on how long your arms are. You well, and then your arm width is different than your height. That's that's called your ape index. Is how much wider your arm span is than your height. If you have a positive ape index, then your arm span, your wingspan, is longer than your height. If you have an, uh, I wonder if they do it a ratio of one to one, one one point one, one point two, you know, that kind of stuff. But I have a positive ape index, nothing crazy, by like a couple of inches. That's pretty normal. That's, I think that's average. And then um, negative ape index means your arms are, your arm spans are a little bit short for your height. And that happens a lot too. Uh, I know uh, Jody Swallow, one of the fastest swimmers in triathlon, actually has kind of short arms, supposedly. Supposedly. I don't, I don't want to go out there and say that like that's a true fact. <laughs> um, 
she'll ask her. Uh, but she has a, I know she has way shorter arms than I do. Uh, I don't know about, you know, relative to her height, but she has shorter arms uh, because she's a shorter person. And she's super, super fast in the swim and she has a very high cadence. And these uh, super swimmers, like we had Lauren Brandon on, uh, tall, was she tall? Well, she had probably has really long arms. And um, Cecilia Davis uh, has long arms. I bet her, her um, Michael Phelps, uh, long arms, uh, lower cadence than what you would think because they don't need a higher cadence because their arms are already long. Well, this is a long way around the answer to this question. Uh, so there is no optimal to answer your question. There's just, um, you should swim really fast and then count your cadence. Get one of these watches. Uh, Sunto Spartan does cadence. Um, lots of watches do cadence. And see your cadence when you're going pretty fast. And notice that the faster you go, the higher your cadence goes. So if you work on, on a higher cadence and you make it more natural feeling, then it'll be more natural to go faster. So that's one way to improve it, is to do higher cadence. And you can look all over the internet and look up um, what's the proper cadence for for swimming, and it's kind of vague, you know, like for well, for what distance? If you're swimming a 50-yard sprint, your cadence is like a, a tornado. Um, if you're swimming um, a mile, uh, your cadence should be plenty lower. So, man, it all kind of depends. But the other thing is you fatigue, and your arms get tired and that not not only are you not pulling as hard you're not applying as much torque to the water but you're also as much watts watts is torque torque times um uh cadence by the way it's kind of like um it's very similar to horsepower horsepower is uh is torque times cadence by the way and torque times rpm and you should do something that I talk about later in the podcast, in the training log, uh, drag shoot. So drag shoot is this parachute you wear behind you. It follows behind you about eight feet behind you total, like it's an eight foot long thing, maybe a four foot long thing. Anyway, the strap's adjustable. You can make it go further or shorter. And you can get them in like an eight foot, eight inch wide parachute or a 12 inch wide parachute. Finesse makes the one that, that I use, uh, relatively cheap, maybe 20, 30 bucks. Strap it around your waist and it drops behind your feet. And like I talk later in the podcast, like I talk about later in the podcast, um, it's like putting an anchor behind you, but it pulls straight behind you instead of down. And you have to pull harder to go anywhere. And so you do. And you can really feel the application of torque into your arms. It is like lifting weights. It is awesome. And the other crazy thing that it does is it uh, increases your cadence. I've got files from me swimming where I look at them and my, I can totally tell where I'm wearing the drag chute and where I'm not by just looking at the swim cadence. And uh, this cadence thing is on your wrist. So it knows every time you do a rotation, it's your watch. And it's like, okay, with, without, without the... Um, Without the drag chute, I don't know, 50 um, strokes per minute. And then with the drag chute, 60. 
65, you know, so you're talking 20% increase in cadence. And then that, that, um, that time spent several minutes or more uh, at a higher cadence, at higher torque, trains your body to do higher cadence in general, and that'll up your cadence. You have somebody, man, adult onset swimmers is what they call people that are learning to swim as adults. Your cadence is too slow. I promise you 100%. You're not trying hard enough. Just like when you see somebody that's learning to run and they just kind of jog along and they're not really running, they're jogging. Well, in the pool, um, I promise you, if you're getting into swimming as an adult and you weren't on like sprint swim teams when you were younger, your, your swim is exactly like uh, somebody's jogging. Uh, you're not applying yourself hard enough because you don't know how because no one ever made you do it, ever forced you through it. So this thing will make you do it and teach you and show you how to get your cadence up or else you go nowhere. It's very, very effective. Put success in your path. That might be something I talk about on the next podcast. You make it so you can't go around it. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. Got to go through it. And then it makes you have a higher cadence. Okay, the other thing, all this stuff early in the podcast, I'm talking about Zen biking right? How to increase your power. And it is by doing intervals of higher resistance, quote unquote hills. Well, the drag chute is exactly like hills. It uh, puts resistance into your arms. The number one way to get uh, stronger in anything and uh, therefore have more resilience and be able to last longer with anything is resistance training. And that's what the drag chute does. Resistance training. So I like to do, you could do by yardage. You could figure out whatever your yardage is for these times I'm about to give you. I just like to do it by time and just kind of roughly guesstimate. But go to the pool. Set your heart on, set your mind on swimming like 45 minutes. Warm up swimming like 10 minutes. Strap on the drag chute. Don't, don't, uh, don't sit at the wall and talk to your friend and check Instagram on your waterproof phone. Put on the, put on the drag chute. Turn around. I'm talking, this takes like five seconds. Put on the drag chute and then do three minutes to five minutes with the drag chute. You don't have to try very hard. Just, it does the work for you. Three minutes to five minutes. And that's like climbing like a medium-sized hill or like a big hill on the bike which makes you stronger. Everybody knows that. Well, this is exactly like the same thing in swimming. Then swim easy for like um, five, seven minutes, you know, kind of recover. Put on the drag chute again, do it again. Put on the drag, swim easy to recover, put on the drag chute again, do it again. Um, without the drag chute, you're just swimming faster without much any more resistance, really. And you're not really making your arms stronger. You're just working your aerobic system and you're going to blow out one of your goddamn lungs. <laughs> we don't want you to do that. Okay? So, I'm going to try to curse more on these episodes, by the way. You can tell the prolific, reckless use of, of the word uh, damn, like in Gone with the Wind. And that was the first review of Gone with the Wind. One of the first reviews was, uh, it's a good movie, but they didn't care for the reckless, the, the reckless usage of the word damn. Because where he said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And Rhett Butler. Let's see, that answers that question. Oh, do like a three or three to five quote unquote hills with a drag shoot on. Um, and then he wrote P S, and then in all caps, exclamation point, and then three exclamation points. Oh, man. The story of the exclamation points comes, we used to have to get up 
uh, I still do it on occasion. Uh, once every couple months, we have employee recognition at work, and we read letters that people send in from other departments or citizens out there in the real world, uh, commending employees for what they did. And I think it's really important to, because the bosses are in there, to let the bosses know that Sally over there, that the letter she got from another manager in another department or something had exclamation points in it because then they know, hey, this person's serious. So in these things, we started reading. Uh, I started it. I said, uh, Sally is one of your best employees. You should uh, give her the day off. Three exclamation points. I need to look over at the big boss. And I'm like, see that? You, uh, she went way out of her way to help me out and then help, help me with the door when I was trying to carry a load in and out of the building and she didn't have to when some employees just sit behind their desk. She is fantastic! Exclamation point, right? So that's where that comes from. All right, uh, we've got... I read off donors. If you donate to the show, I read off your name. Simon Wright, Brett Hoyer, Justice Phillips. What's up, dude? And... Oh, we got a, an email from Michael H. But before we do, he actually mentions Amrita Bars in his email. I'll read that. Uh, I do not think the discount code is 2016 Zen 2016, but go ahead and give it a try. Maybe it's Zen 2017 with Amrita Bars. I need to look that up. Where'd it go? Uh, salt stick. Hey, man. Do you know what I really like adding to my fuel and my water? Salt. You sweat a lot as an athlete. Uh, I went to go visit a, my favorite doctor ever that I went to. One time I was talking with him about blood pressure and that mine's fine. But I was like, something about sodium. I don't know. I'd read something. And this, the reason he's my favorite doctor is he would sit there and you could talk with him. He'd actually answer your questions instead of trying to rush you through. And he... Uh, he said, no, don't worry about don't worry about sodium or salt. I said, really? Not at all? And he said, the amount that you exercise, <laughs> you could put a salt cube. And he, this is something that uh, if you're not from ranch country, cattle country, that uh, and, uh, they put, they just take cubes of salt that are like eight inches across. Eight inch cube, I guess. I don't think they're a foot, but about eight inches across, maybe 10 inches. And they put them next to like the hay and just kind of out and the cat, cattle go up and lick them for, uh, for salt. They like it. That's where they get their salt from sometimes. And he said, you could put a salt, a salt cube on your dining room table <laughs> and lick that uh, at every meal and you still wouldn't be taking in too much salt. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. So we need a lot of salt slash sodium as triathletes and because we're sweating it all out, man. And you need to stay hydrated. So what makes your, uh, your water stay in your body better is sodium, is electrolytes. There's sodium, potassium, magnesium, uh, chloride. Uh, sodium chloride makes uh, table salt, for example, or sea salt. And salt stick actually has it in the same ratios that you sweat it out. If you took a sample of your sweat, it is like so close to the exact same ratio and no other electrolyte manufacturer does this. 
which is really cool because you're putting in what you're sweating out and it comes in capsules. Um, they have different flavors. They have chewables. They have this like lime chewable. Oh, so good. I love that one. And um, they have a dispenser so you can twist it and then get uh, a capsule to come out. I like um, uh, the capsules. You can just pop open. I like taking the capsule, popping it open and dropping the, uh, the insides into my fuel bottle. I'm like, I got a three hour ride. I'm going to put in two capsules per hour mixed into my fuel. That way I don't even have to, I don't even have to take a capsule and wreck my bike as I crash into a chain link fence because I'm looking down. I'm like, ah, holy shit. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's already in my fuel. I make my own fuel. Uh, like I was saying earlier, I make a three hour bottle. I put the stuff in there. I just, uh, do it myself by popping open the, uh, salt stick capsules. So you can get salt stick and all around the world, 30 countries, blah, 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 30 countries, Man, I'm stuttering. Uh, via their website at saltstick.com, you can find a store locator. But if you're in the United States, there's a discount code. And it was Zentri25, but it changed. And I'm looking for it. And I sent them an email, and I can't get it. But no sweat, because you can go on Twitter and ask, between now and when I hear back from them, what they changed it to. What they like is, uh, they like to change it on occasion because people will rip off the um the discount code they'll get a hold of it and spread it all over the internet and then you can go to a website and find discount codes for this that and the other and they want to make sure that they are um you're you're the people that are using it are authentic users so they switch it on occasion to keep it fresh and not have people that are just abusing the uh, discount codes out there here comes a, an entire school bus i hope they don't unload a bunch of kids right next to me no nah, it looks like he's just driving through the parking lot squirrel and oh excuse me you can get a uh, 25% off so ask them say hey I was uh, trying to use the Zentri discount code what's the um, what's the one that I get 25% off now uh, lately and well they've done testing on these people that take salt stick finish faster make this is a tagline I came up with. They're going to have to run with this. Uh, make your water stick with salt stick. Ha ha. Because if you take, uh, if you hydrate without any electrolytes, um, the water will run right through you. And there's serious science that shows it's actually worse. It pulls water with it, more water with it. Uh, it causes a diuretic effect, uh, which means you pee. And you're going to become more dehydrated if you just drink plain water. Plain water isn't enough. You need to add electrolytes to it. Yeah. And let's read um, Michael H.'s email right here, and then I'll give you the, uh, the Amrita discount code. Michael H. writes in and says, Hey, love the podcast, comma, and as a peanut allergy sufferer. Oh, man, I feel so bad for you, dude. Peanuts taste really good. They're not, you know, it's not the end of the universe if you can't eat them. I'm sure if you've almost died eating them, you could care less. So you're not missing out on that much. But man, they're good. So I feel for you. Uh, he says, I've tried Amrita bars. And see, Amrita bars have no peanuts in them, no nuts. They actually have seeds instead of nuts. So if you have a nut allergy, your go-to bars, Amrita bars. And he says, Amrita bar recommendation was great. Two exclamation points. I go back and forth between the chocolate maca and dark chocolate quinoa. Well, you know I'm a health nut because I actually know how to pronounce those things. People that don't know uh, gourmet um, vegan health foods, we call that um, matcha or, 
or Maca, but it's Maca, and uh, Quinoa. That's <laughs> what I used to say before somebody, poor Christine Lynch, uh, told me it's different. Chocolate quinoa. Uh, just ordered a sample of the energy bars. So he was doing the recovery bars, and now he's doing the energy bars instead. Tell you what, uh, my son likes the energy bars to eat and then work out with um, while, while riding his bike. And it's impressive, man. He's a kid. He's hard to uh, please. You know, they got such a narrow uh, happiness range with whatever you put in their, in their food hole. And they, uh, eh, it tastes like crap. I don't like it. It's like, uh, he won't eat Yukan, for example. He hates Yukan. But he'll eat the uh, Amrita bars. Uh, I think he likes strawberry the best. Um, which I'm going to try during the race, too. Thanks. So, yeah. Oh, uh, thanks. Uh, three exclamation points. Cheers, Mike. Yeah. I love Amrita bars. I did a race wearing my Amrita kit. I looked so cool. And they still sell that kit, man. It's black with kind of a rainbow cool color scheme added to it but like intense rainbow manly ran rainbow man manbo and let's see i got a discount code around here it was amrita team 2017 2017 uh amrita is a-m-r-i-t-a for example amrita amrita team 2017 gets you 25% off Anything on our site, anytime. Then a flat $5 shipping rate. So, check them out. Um, let's see. Salt Stick. Shop salt, ShopSaltStick.com is where you go get your salt stick at. Uh, with that discount code that you're going to ask them for. And, let's see. Maybe at the very end of the show... By the time I put that, I'll have an update to the discount code. Fast forward, if you're going to order some, fast forward to the very end and see if I added it on. Because uh, I'm going to record that later today. And I'll get maybe get an email back from them. They have an Amrita Club. Let's read some more uh, donations. Uh, Jonathan Woodman. John Mulan. Hun Chu. What's up, dude? Uh, Peter Salzen. Longtime listener. What's up? James Godak. Katie Joe Favia. Matt Heinz. What is up? I saw on uh, LinkedIn you got a new gig, dude. Looked pretty cool. Uh, Todd Nelson. Todd Nelson. Oh, man, he's my bro. And Allison Frutos, Matthew Frois, and M. Webb. All right, cool. I need to get out of this park before somebody calls the cops on me. They're like, what is this old, gritty, nasty-looking uh, homeless guy? Because that's what us... In- we endurance athletes look like our sun baked we look like a raisin that's been stuffed into a pair of crappy jeans and we uh get run out of places like get out of here (laughs) so i need to get out of here before oh hey is that a dove we have morning doves around here i always thought morning was like you know like morning evening afternoon you know and uh then they sound kind of like owls. And then I put two and two together and actually looked it up. Mourning as in they're crying. Like a widow mourning at a uh, funeral. In the morning they go... And I usually hear them in the morning. That's why I think they're mourning those. But they go, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> All right. 
Let's uh, head on over to the training log. I've got, let's see, I talk a little bit about running. I talk about drag shoot swimming. And I think that's that's all that's in there. And um, injury update before we get into the training log. My feet are doing a ton better. Uh, I've got plantar fasciitis. I'm trying to overcome that. Ugh. I feel like this has become the plantar fasciitis podcast. It takes forever to get over plantar fasciitis. And I... Um, I switched to running to Nike Freeze and running in those things. I got, you know, two old pair that I can rotate between. And what's cool about Nike Freeze is you can run, you can run like a native, an indigenous person. And like you're trying to run as quiet as you possibly can in these things. And I, it, I think it lessens the impact and it smooths out your run. And you're engaging more of your foot because they don't have as much support. And instead of working around your shoes and having to use your calves to work around your thicker, stiffer shoes, you can actually use your feet and take a load off of your calf. And uh, because now your full foot is engaged in the ground, you can feel the ground more and use more of your foot. And it takes pressure off of your calves, oddly enough. And then when I go to the bed at night, the... um, I almost got into my Swedish accent. The uh, when you go to the bed at night, you take off your calf muscles so they do not cramp. Um, that was pretty bad. The uh, my calves uh, don't clench as much overnight, and that doesn't pull on the. Um, they're not as tight, and then that doesn't pull on the tendon overnight on the underside of my foot. And and then I wake up in the morning, and my feet aren't as tight. And they don't hurt as bad when I walk. And every day they hurt a little bit less. And I'm running every other day. That seems to help because it's giving me a day of total relief. And there was something else. Oh, so these are tips for people trying to heal plantar fasciitis. There's a lot of us out there, especially if you've had it. And if it comes back, this is another tip. I was sitting at my desk at work, for example, and at home uh, with my feet way out in front of me and kind of leaning back. Well, when you do that, what happens? Your toes are pointed down and away from you. What are you doing there? You're engaging your calf, you're crunching your arches. And so everything is in the position where it's enabled to get all tightened up. So what I started trying to do, some nut job on a motorcycle. Oh, good. He's standing up. Great. And, uh, what, uh, I'm doing instead is I'm sitting more upright with my feet under me and kind of, so my heels are pointed back, and then that stretches out the calves, stretches out the tendons, the Achilles tendon, uh, the uh, plantar, fasci- plantar fascia arch, and um, that's keeping everything stretched out more, and it's stretching and stretching more and more all the time, and that seems to really, really help. All that combined together uh, seems to be nice, and I went from only being able to run on completely flat ground uh, around an 11-minute mile to now I'm running on rolling terrain, six, six and a half miles. I ran 6.66 miles today. (laughs) The devil's number. And uh, averaging a 9.20, I think, this morning um, with rolling hills and no um no pain whatsoever now they're a little bit stiff 
throughout the day and then I go to bed and then I wake up and they're still a little bit stiff but they're getting better like every day so I'm on the right trajectory and um, I, I, I keep a note every day I make a notation of how it's going so I remember if you have to put it into words you remember things better instead of it just being a feeling or a fleeting thought you have to, when you have to condense things down to sentences you have to explain yourself to yourself and allow myself to introduce myself the um, Oh, here comes the guy with the weed eater. I better hurry up. And the uh, the note today was, um, man, I think you're uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You may be over this thing uh, pretty soon, the way things are going. Because now I'm running near uh, a decent, like, real training speed. I don't have much faster to go than I could go. It, uh, that's a 920 average. So, like, the last few miles I was running uh, sub-9. And... The, um, which is plenty fine for Ironman training. And uh, I could run a little bit faster if I wanted. Uh, I should, but not too much. And then um, six miles, that's an hour workout at that pace, uh, six and a half miles. So like, and I'm on hills instead of flat ground. So I'm basically there. I'm, I'm back to running what I used to run, but I just need to, um, uh, the, the injury pain is still a little bit there, but it seems to be getting better majorly better. And so I think I'm, I'm like, man, I may be almost done with this thing, but uh, let's not count our eggs before they hatch. And we'll see. I'll have an update real quick, you know, five minutes on it next episode, maybe, maybe two minutes, see if it's improving. And I really love my run loop. Oh, and I'm also running on flat, not uh, non-crowned road. It's got no slope angled off to the side. I'm running on sidewalk that, so it's flattish, you know, it's not sloping off to the left or sloping off to the right, which seems to um, help with stability. And that's it. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the training log. This is where I take you with me uh, during some of my workouts, post-workout, and tell you what I'm doing and uh, give some tips and tricks, and then we'll catch you at the end of the show. All right, out bang. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. Hi, I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, welcome to a new training log. Zentri start date, uh, May 15th, I believe. All right. Man, I just had a cool swim workout. I'm driving to W to the ERK, gonna get some work done. And I thought I'd share something really cool. Long-term review on the Finesse, or Finis, but I think you say it Finesse, F-I-N-I-S, hand paddles for swimming that are also known as the agility paddles. Uh, they're yellow, they're kind of a translucent sort of, and I had such a great workout with them today and also the uh, past couple of workouts, kind of mixed them in. And I've had them for about a year now and I thought I would tell you all how to use them and what they end up doing, which is absolutely amazing. Okay, so these are paddles that don't have straps on them. And what that means is they have thumb holes and they're contoured to your hand uh, somewhat and what that means is if you enter your hand into the water incorrectly, they will fall off your hand 
in a jarring fashion. <laughs> so it encourages uh, proper hand entry, which is really nice. Uh, they should make something like this that have almost no uh, pull to them, whatever, that aren't really paddles at all, just to teach you how to enter your hands correctly. It's, uh, that is so vital to enter your hands streamlined and straight. And I'll be swimming along and notice that, man, it's, it's working my shoulders, but not in, a, um, not in a stressful way, but in a flexibility way. Just every entry, and you do thousands of those in a swim, is uh, perfect because if it's not perfect your uh, your arm will come flying off to the side and the hand paddles will come off and it's I mean it's really uh, quite quite amazing that uh, biofeedback and then also if you pull incorrectly with your hand with your elbows too low then or your hand also your hand kind of twisted off to the side the wrong way but especially with your elbows too low, they will they will fall off your hand again. They'll fall off. Uh, they'll detach kind of by your wrist palm kind of area. Uh, your fingers will stay put, but they'll start pulling off there and come off completely. And that's a signal that your elbows are too low. So there's a very narrow uh, range of what it allows you, what they allow you to... Um, to do stroke wise on purpose and that narrow range is a pretty much swimming perfection <laughs> pretty much and uh, the, the list goes on and on of, of how these things work uh, but you do that swimming perfection uh, technique and you'll uh, you know for you just mix it in constantly and that cleans up your stroke. And like I always say, drag is the biggest thing. So cleaning up your technique is way more important in swimming than, um, than the other two sports as far as speed goes. Good technique is good in running uh, to keep you from getting injured. But good technique is good in swimming to keep you from getting injured and to um, actually make you faster. Okay, so a couple other, I'm sure there's tons of other benefits of these things, is... Um, because there's no straps to them, well, I guess first you could say, how do these things stay on? Well, if you swim correctly, they'll stay on. I've seen on rare occasions somebody go, they just don't work for me, they don't stay on. Well, that's somebody that needs them more than anything. There's that saying, if you don't have 10 minutes to meditate, you need to meditate 20 minutes, then uh, if these hand paddles don't stay on for you, then you, uh, you definitely need them because you're stroke could be improved greatly with them and you'll get it after a while but because there's no straps what I found between these and other hand paddles because uh, I've got a pair and I've used other hand paddles over the years is because there's no straps you can put your you can put them on you just kind of insert your thumb into the hole and straighten them out it takes half a second I think and um what it is, it's a huge time saver. You can be swimming sets. Let's say you're swimming uh, 500 yards and you're going to do uh, alternating 50 yards hand paddles, 50 yards without, right? You're going to do 500. Uh, you, you can switch in between hand paddles and no hand paddles almost instantly, which is amazing. 
Because usually if you have straps on the back, you got to wedge your hands in these things. And then once your hands are in, you're kind of locked in and you can't do anything with your hands. You're like a platypus or something. You're, you, you can't adjust your goggles. You can't mess with your watch. Uh, you can't drink out of a water bottle next to the side of the pool. And if you do, um, if you do these hand paddles, then uh, you can easily drink water because you just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not even like wearing gloves. I mean, it's like, it's just like pinching something between your fingers. And then, uh, oh man, one thing I really like is because they're semi-translucent, I wrote inspirational stuff on them, like places that I've swam and my old swim team name and places that I've visited and races that I've done. It's got goals on it. Wrote them on there with um, with a permanent marker, with a Sharpie marker. And it stays really, really well, which is super cool. All right, a couple other things that I really like is they uh, no moving parts, nothing to adjust. They're just pieces of plastic. Super smooth. They won a design award for how well they work with uh, just sim- they're simple. The simplicity is stunning, actually. Uh, the zen of just using them. Uh, the uh, wonderful thing is, let's say uh, today I was doing um, uh, a long swim. I did an hour continuous, uh, but I found. Oh, I guess let's um, let's talk for a brief moment about long swim sets and swim meditation. So you can uh, swim continuously for an hour and just kind of look at your watch every once in a while. And what I found is, for entertainment purposes, that's kind of boring, and it makes swimming not fun. You kind of look at swimming as a chore when you're going to be swimming a long time with no variation. Variation makes it more exciting. And instead, you can do, I'm going to swim an hour, continuous, with hand paddles or whatever you're doing. This really isn't hand paddle relevant. It's just if you're swimming really long sets. Uh, Then every 10 minutes what I did today was I did 20 minutes and then I was like you know this is getting kind of boring but what's cool is when you do long continuous workouts it allows you to um, zone out and kind of meditate while you're um, while you're exercising and that's nice it's really really nice and the swimming pool is a great place to do that but what I found is you kind of start going man what am I gonna an hour with a no variation, just, uh, you know, I'm going to, it's going to (laughs) suck. And actually it's variation that makes it better. So what I did today is after 20 minutes, I go, you know, I'm going to take the hand paddles off. I was going to do an hour, um, uh, hand paddles, which I definitely don't recommend uh, starting out. And I'll tell you why in a second, but it's going to do an hour hand paddles. And I was settled in and I was doing fine. And, but then I'm getting bored and I thought, let's, um, Every 10 minutes, let's mix in uh, 50 or 100 yards without the hand paddles. And like I said, these hand paddles are so easy to take on and off. It's ridiculous that I just popped them off. I did an open turn, basically, and let them go onto the wall (laughs) during an open turn. And then uh, kept swimming. And I swam, I think it was 100 yards without them. And the difference is amazing. And what's cool about using a, you, whenever you use a tool like hand paddles or kickboard or whatever you're doing, um, you should do the drill and then mix in your regular swimming 
so you can see the difference it's making that it's influencing upon your regular swim. So I'm doing this 100 freestyle without the hand paddles, and I'm like, wow, holy cow, my form from using these hand paddles these form improving hand paddles is completely kick ass. I love it. It's way better. I'm just gliding through the water with almost no effort uh, based on form. And so that's nice, right? And then that breaks up your, um, your long, long stuff. And there's a reason like meditation, proper meditation. A lot of times they ring a bell every so many minutes, 10 minutes, uh, meditation timers do this. You ring a bell every so many minutes and what that does is it, um, entertains you and kind of brings your mind back to center. So I just look at my watch and every 10 minutes, I'm at 50 or hundred. And the, um, the original point of hand paddles though, is to increase your arm and hand strength and uh, shoulder strength by providing resistance. Cause you got to pull against it, which is nice, but you got to remember you're doing something, you're doing a change and you're going it's, you're increasing resistance and it's pretty hard. You need to mix this stuff in gradually. It's kind of like wearing a new pair of shoes. Um, you break them in over time, five minutes, you know, two minutes here, five minutes there, and then eventually work your way up. And, um, so if you're getting started with hand paddles, you would do just a few minutes and start mixing it in more and more and more with your swims. And then, uh, or else you're going to get shoulder injuries or elbow injuries and break something or tear something. And you don't need to swim very hard with them. You just swim kind of a casual pace. They, and which is nice because it takes the, the decision fatigue out of your head. You can just kind of swim and they provide the workout without you having to think about it, which I need to do a whole nother podcast on that. I mean, that is just fantastic, uh, strategies on how to reduce decision fatigue and training so the training just works and you don't have to think about it very much and you can just enjoy yourself. And the last thing to wrap it up is the um, these hand paddles come in two different sizes. So if they're really cheap. And if you're starting out, I would do definitely do the small ones first. The big ones are for like really powerful swimmers. And the, um, you know, division one collegiate badass like, like uh, freestylers. <laughs> that are doing power workouts, sprint workouts. That's what the uh, big ones are really for um, at first. So you just uh, check those out and um, get the small ones first. So again, the Finesse Agility Paddles. Very, very cool. You can get a pair, right on them, your goals, and start enjoying your swims a whole lot more. I definitely give them a huge thumbs up. All right, out, bang. All right, all right, all right. I am back. It's May, shoot, 17th? 18th? I don't know. <laughs> Something. Anyway, I just finished a run and I thought I would speak a little bit about the kinetic chain and the actual most effective way of running. Uh, this came to mind. I was picking up Kai from triathlon practice and they were doing a running day and we were watching an adult group run around the track and the parking lot was right up next to the track and chain link fence and then the runners and let's say it's about uh 30 people running um adults all in their 20s and 30s it looked like um of various speeds some a few that looked uh, pretty decent a lot of people um overweight which is what we're all fighting against here in america trying to figure that out and 
um, but lots of different running forms. And it was so cool sitting with Kai. Um, I forgot we were wait. Oh, he was eating a sandwich because we had to go to Boy Scouts and he needed to eat something. Uh, and we had a little bit of time. So I said, let's watch these people run. And you can see people doing uh, way too much stuff of certain things, not enough of other things. People running like their bodies locked up. People running with their arms flailing all over the place. People bouncing too much. And then uh, people that are running uh, really well, um, if you look closely, the signature that they're um, fast is that their heels come up and almost touch their butt. Um, that means that you can't do that unless things are working well. And getting your heels up to touch your butt, I'm not positive that that's the goal. That's more of a symptom of uh, excellent form. If you're able to do that uh, reliably and comfortably, then uh, you're doing a lot of other things right. But anyway, there's a um, there's something that a lot of people don't know is... Uh, you can get power from your running. So some people, I mean, everybody's trying really hard, but some people are just faster than others. And when you're running, it's an efficiency game against gravity and your form. Uh, how much of your form is propelling you forward and how much is uh, fighting gravity and then uh, everything else, minimizing everything else that's a braking motion or uh, wasted side to side or up and down. If you can minimize those and maximize the forward then uh, and the efficiency and the relaxation, then you're way better off and a lot faster. And some people do it naturally, and those people are like, oh, they're just a better runner. No, they're just doing something differently than you. It all comes down to science, and you can do it too. And I'm going to give you a tip on what one of those things is. Um, true running power for fast, fast runners, if you want to be fast, actually comes from your butt and your hamstrings not from your quads and your calves. If you feel um, burn and push and fatigue in your quads, activity of any kind in your quads and your calves, then you're kind of running wrong. And it, the, the, it comes from your butt and your um, hamstrings, right? Because those contract and push back Right? It comes from the backside, and those push back against the, um, the ground and push you forward and slightly up. And then to give that, those muscles a, um, a force to work against, your torso twists. So it also comes from your, your back and your abs and your lats. Uh, maybe not your lats, but uh, it comes from your back and your abs, and then you twist, you have to twist against something. You have to push against something one leg at a time. So you twist with your torso against your arms and your upper sh and your shoulders, all that weight up on your upper body and your shoulders, your torso twists against it. And it's imperceptible because you're balancing one between the other. So the goal is to lean forward just enough where you feel like you're starting to kind of fall over forward. Well, you're not, but almost where you're about to fall over forward. And then with each push, push with your legs kind of midfoot and heel driven, uh, more midfoot driven, 
against a twist in your torso and then instead of bouncing your arms up and down um, uh, coordinate your arm the same side that you're pushing off with say you're pushing off with your right foot um, or is it I'm trying to think <laughs> yeah I think it is uh, oh yeah the same side that you're pushing off with swing forward with your arm and your shoulder uh, forward pushing back with the same leg push back with your right leg push forward um, with your right arm and and not sideways not out not in towards your midline but forward towards where you want to go right that's that efficiency thing you want to be pushing forward and then um, the the big trick is is to use your torso as the as the pivot point, as the big muscle in your butt cheeks and your calf and uh, your uh, hamstring, as the big group of muscles that are actually um, pushing off, it's providing a twist. And um, once you get good at it, you realize how easy it is because it is a huge group of muscles, and because the workload is distributed over a massive area of your body. Um, the, the workload per muscle is actually really low. And so you can do it a long time. It's very efficient, uses very little oxygen. Your body can distribute the oxygen and the uh, calories. It needs to do this very easily. Instead of just pushing off with your quads, right? And then your, or your calves, and your body needs to get um, energy to just an oxygen to just that those areas of your body because you're using so much more of your body for the motion um, it can get the energy that it needs to do it so it feels a lot more effortless a lot less effortful <laughs> and on top of that um, do not bounce your hands the, the the motion you need to consciously stop the um, bounce with your hands and the propulsion, the method of propulsion at your elbow. Don't go past your elbow with the effort of the twisting, the counter twisting against your uh, butt and hamstrings, right? Um, because then once you start getting into your hands providing the momentum, now you're, you're starting to um, create flailing motion and you're starting to waste energy. It needs to be more efficient than that. Just a big twist of the core of your body um, against your uh, shoulder and elbows. Um, so it's kind of like your shoulder and elbows versus your hamstring and your butt, right? They're, they're working against each other. Think of those of like a, as like an accordion on either side of your body. Because once you start getting out into your hands, now you're starting to get off of your... Um, you're too many steps away from the center of your body and things start to get inefficient. So you want to keep things more efficient by keeping it close in. And that's the, the shoulder, elbow, bottom of your elbow, and your, um, your butt, your, your hamstring, and your core is where you need to focus your energy so that you're, not, um, so that you're staying centered and, and uh, all that. But the other thing is um, you can tend to tighten up in the shoulders and hold things too tightly. So every once in a while, every once in a while, remember to um, relax from your neck to your spine uh, between your shoulders, but not so much that your shoulders start flopping. 
you're using your shoulders as counteract counteraction against your um, as counterweight against your um, your butt and your your uh, hamstrings. And man, it is super super efficient. And oh man, it's just amazing the difference. You start feeling like you're flying through the air with very little very little work. And yeah, I just wanted to share that with y'all. And um, you can find that online um, that lots of uh, lots of the big secret that runners don't know is you're actually good runners run with their butt, <laughs> not with their quads. Quads are the front of your leg and your and your calves. Those get tired too quickly. Those aren't very good running muscles. And the people that are naturally fast runners um, are accidentally, it's hard for them to tell anybody this, right? Because they don't know that they're doing it. They're running with their butt and their and their hamstrings and they're just doing it. And uh, that's the big secret. And it's, it's kept a secret because uh, nobody knows to share it. Because nobody knows um, that that's actually... That's the feeling to search for. I talk about that a lot on the podcast. You can change what you're doing by searching for a feeling, a particular trigger, a particular reaction. And then once you, um, once you have that down, then uh, you know what you're looking for. So you can feel it. Feel it in your butt. <laughs> but that's your own personal business. All right. That's it. I'll be back. Out. Bing. All right, howdy ho, leaving the pool again. Got another awesome swim tool to talk about. Haven't talked about it in a while. It's called the drag chute. And I'm gonna explain to you how to use it and, because I just did it. And have I finished eating my Amrita bar? Wait, let's hold on. I'm gonna finish eating my Amrita bar real quick. I'm not gonna talk on the mic. Or I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna eat while talking, hold on. All right, we're back. Okay, uh, the drag chute is this uh, thing you can clip around your waist, and it's got an adjustable strap. You can get the really cheap, and you can get one from probably from Finesse and Speedo. Anyway, there's there's several of them, companies that make them. But you're looking for one that clips on on and off real quick, adjustable strap, and then it's got a length of strap that runs behind you that you can adjust if you want, so that. Um, you don't mess with it too much with your feet. Doesn't bump into your feet too much. It's going to anyway. You just get used to it. Just get used to it, man. And then um, it's got a parachute behind it. Uh, the one I have is a, it's a solid parachute, and then you can get it in two, maybe three different sizes. But I got the biggest one, and it's only I think a foot, <laughs> a square foot wide. A 12 inch square it's like they come in like 12 and 8 inch uh, 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 squares and when you swim along with this thing you push off the wall and it hasn't engaged yet and you're like okay and then BAM it puts the brakes on when it when it opens up <laughs> it is like the Millennium Falcon trying to leave the Death Star, dude. It is like, bam, it puts on the brakes. It's like a hydraulic brake. Actually, it literally is a hydraulic brake. And it is uh, outstanding in what it does. First thing it does is it puts a huge amount of load on your arms. And what's nice 
is that's exactly like swimming uphill. So, you know, one of the fastest, best ways to get strong on the bike or on the run is to uh, integrate hills into your, into your workouts. And on, um, in the pool, you really don't have that. You can just swim faster. And what, what that does is that kind of works your muscles a little bit more, but it also works your aerobic system. And if your aerobic system's already uh, tapped out or you don't want to work your aerobic system that day, you're kind of screwed. You have to um, do something to, uh, to increase load. So what this does is it puts stress on your muscles, which makes mus- your muscles a lot stronger um, without really ramping up your heart rate, your aerobic. I mean, it kind of does, but you're, you're practicing basically, it's like lifting weights in the pool. It's really crazy. And um, the other thing, one of the many other things it does is it um, teaches you how to search for feel, how to grab water with your hands way more efficiently. Because in this this thing, you are not going anywhere unless you grab water, and more more way more effectively. So you're searching constantly for uh, water in, in your hands, and the most effective way to move forward. And you, I mean, that is worth a million bucks right there to get that feeling. And when you take the drag chute off and start swimming without it, I'm going to tell you about that in a second. The, uh, the sensation is amazing. Your, your, uh, your hands just feel water, uh, grabbing on and much more effectively than, than it was before. It's really incredible. The difference every little drop of water is held onto. Now that's different when you use hand paddles. Yeah. You're working your arms and your shoulders, but your hand, it's like you're wearing gloves playing the piano. Your, your hands are isolated from the grab. So exactly how to hold your hands and the feel of water slipping and sliding around your hands is gone when you wear paddles because the paddles are doing that for you. So you got to be careful uh, about using paddles so much, you'll kind of get numb to the uh, feel of grabbing water with your hands. And the uh, parachute totally does this. And then it also works your legs a little bit because you're trying to kick to keep your legs up. So you're getting a little bit of extra kick work, uh, resistance. And then the other crazy thing that it does is because you're not really going anywhere and you're, you've got resistance and you're up, your hands are trying to grab water more, you end up with a higher cadence. I've looked at it on the uh, files many times. If you're just swimming along and you're wearing one of these watches that captures your cadence, like the Sunto Spartan, and it shows, uh, you know, how many strokes per minute. If you're just looking at a plain file without any kind of lap information or any kind of other information in it or speed, you can totally tell where the uh, drag chute went on because the cadence goes way up, like 10 strokes more per minute or per lap or whatever. And yeah, per minute, RPM. And that is really valuable too because what that does is, uh, what a lot of us doing, we're stroking (laughs) too slow and we need to actually speed up our cadence. Um, So this speeds up your cadence and 
helps you find water more effectively with your hands and it increases resistance so your arms get some burn in them and it's absolutely fantastic uh, everything that this does and you're getting a little bit more kick work and on top of that another killer effect is that if you put your head down and swim uh, more more head down when your hands extend out in front of you to grab to start the stroke um, because of the drag chute providing resistance you get resistance immediately at the at the water line as soon as you, you stick your hands out <clears throat> uh, flat with the water as much as you can and as soon as you start to pull you get a large amount of resistance and what that does is it pulls your arm and your hand at your shoulder um, up higher back over the back of your head kind of it provides resistance right then and there and what that does is that improves your um, that improves your flexibility in your shoulders so it's kind of like sticking your arms up straight over your head and leaning into a wall leaning forward into a wall with your arms um, straightened out you're immediately getting a stretch and resistance way up high into your shoulder and when you take the drag chute off and then start swimming you can totally tell you're like whoa my arms are way more flexible my shoulder and I'm able to get flatter and lower in the water uh, but my arms still level with the water line able to get my head down but uh, my torso down and more like swimming downhill like we're always talking about it's really amazing okay uh, just real quick what you're trying to do but because this is extra resistance and it's more than normal you do it in intervals and what I found that works really well is you swim easy for a while like five minutes kind of get loosened up and then you do an interval of drag shoot for five minutes and <clears throat> Uh, you have to learn to be patient and not go too fast, too hard, because by the end of five minutes, it's it's going to um, it's going to work you pretty good. And what you're doing is you're alternating that uh, five minutes, just kind of cruising along easy, and then five minutes drag shoot. <laughs> your ninja level when you can do flip turns with the drag shoot on because it gets all tangled up in your ankles. <laughs> but the you swim the uh, you swim the five minutes without kind of as recovery, but also to implement what you learned with the drag shoot into your stroke uh, you're like oh wow but it's that hard and then easy to recover and then hard easy to recover that allows you to go it's that easy to recover that allows you to go hard um, to build up that lactic acid burn that gets your body used to it and increases your strength and you end up doing six intervals of five minutes that's 30 minutes of drag shoot in an hour <clears throat> and then the other trick that you can do is don't hesitate at the wall um, and think about things and, and uh, get all uh, people sit at the wall way too long so instead do the um, when you get to the wall and you've done five minutes I just kind of as I'm swimming I kind of look at my watch and I go okay five minutes is about up I just kind of you know rough rough it and then get to the wall unclip the drag chute spread out the clip or connect the clip back to itself and then hang the drag chute off the edge of the wall and then turn around and go right in a swimming um, regular freestyle again and then when you're done doing five minutes of regular freestyle 
you uh, at the wall, you take the drag chute, clip it on, and then turn around and go. And you get like five, 10 seconds rest while you're fiddling with the thing. Uh, today, I got it hung up on the lane rope for a minute. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the brakes. But um, it is amazing, amazing stuff. So um, definitely check it out. Get yourself a drag chute and mix in some intervals and watch your swimming uh, just blow up as far as strength, better technique, form, and it's fun. It makes the time go by really, really fast. As long as you alternate, you don't do too much of one thing. You're five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes here, five minutes there, like that. All right, that's it. I got to go into W to the ERK. Out, Bing. All right, we are at the Typhoon Texas Try. Is that it? Is that enough tease? Uh, kids Triathlon. Uh, in Katy, Texas, which is west of Houston. It is west Houston, really. And uh, we've got two different kinds of music blasting at the same time. Some kind of dance music and then some kind of heartfelt soft stuff. And we're in the transition area, uh, getting ready uh, to get going. The sun has just come up. Hundreds of kids. I posted a short little video on Instagram of the transition area in the dark. And... We're here with the kids team, Tri, uh, Trinity. Oh, our coach just showed up. Cool. And then uh, he was, he's a college student. He's coming in from College Station an hour and a half away. Uh, came in this morning. And we stayed nearby in a hotel, which we can actually see from the transition area. We always joke that we should just uh, stay parked in the hotel and walk over here instead, <laughs> instead of driving over here and getting stuck in transition area parking. But the uh, cool thing is that the, uh, let me try to get away from these microphones uh, or these uh, speakers. The cool thing is, is that the swim is in a water park. The water park is called the Texas Typhoon, I believe. And hold on, some guy wants to talk over our podcast. He wants to be a guest. Let me walk over here by this Audi. Audi A7, man. Oh, so beautiful. Love this car. So sleek. It's got that 70s Mach, Mach uh, G, GT Mach 2 uh, rear end. <laughs> so badass. Anyway, the uh, Typhoon, Typhoon Texas Water Park, I guess is the host facility of the race because we're in their parking lot and it's right next to a mall and the bike ride's going to go around the, the loop around the outside of the mall. But the swim, this is the cool thing. The swim is in the lazy river. So the water park has a lazy river running through it uh, where you can just get in and float. And they turn off, I think they turn it off, the lazy river. You don't swim into the current. At most, you'd swim with it. But I think they turn off the current and they start at one end of the lazy river and swim to another, the other end or another part of it or swim a lap or something. But um, the kids love it. It is so cool. And all the parents say, man, I wish we were... <laughs> doing this it's so neat so yeah you, you get in and you swim through the uh, the channel and they're doing the kids in waves and the water so the so the water's nice and clear and fun no gators and no sharks a nice safe place and um the point being is you can go check out and see if uh if there's some unique races near you not everything is, uh, you know, Ironman brand and all the same. Uh, lots of races are very unique and very different. 
and they're fun to go check out. See if you can find something neat. All right, I think that's it. I better get back with the fam and the uh, the wolf pack here, the team, and go over to the start area now that we got everybody together. Be back. Out, Bing. All right, guys. Hear those tree frogs? I'm running right after a thunder, massive thunderstorm. And uh, I was listening to the Skeptic Society podcast, which teaches you how to think critically. And then I heard these tree frogs, and I'm running down a country road. And I thought I'd record it and uh, wrap up the show at the same time. So let's run. Let me start my Sunto back up. Oh, man. Isn't this awesome? Oh. So I was thinking about um, well, the tree frogs got quiet when I started running by. <laughs> That's funny. There's still thunder clouds on the horizon. It's getting dark. You hear the crickets and stuff starting to come out. And oh, I do need to take a sip of fuel. And uh, There's lightning, whoa, a lot of lightning on the horizon. Listen to that frog, is that a bullfrog? Where's he coming from? Oh, he's up in the tree. Anyway, got a little bit of wind. Let's see if I can shelter the wind. We're gonna turn around in a minute and have the wind with us, so just bear with me. And I thought, it's so typical. Back when I first started trying to do this stuff. Well, you think so many things aren't possible until you really want them. So a lot of people wouldn't go out and run that's well, because, well, it just dumped rain. It was a tremendous storm. In honesty, you don't know it, but it's an excuse. It is uh, beautiful out here after the rain. I just went to the weatherunderground.com, looked at the, uh, the radar, and saw which way the rain was moving. It's moving away from us. So instead of sitting in the house and being like, well, I guess I can't work out, it was the rain. And I don't know if it's gonna rain again. You take ownership of it and go look. And guess what? <laughs> I get to run and listen to all the tree frogs and bullfrogs all happy I mean they're alive they're like it's rained this is awesome the world comes alive right after it rains at any time to run it's right after it rains everybody's joyous it's like a celebration 
I'm on the ultra baby course right now. I just heard a cicada too. I read something that snakes, snakes love eating cicadas. They hunt in packs, <laughs> for real. Copperheads hunting in packs, eating cicadas. Hold on, we got a car coming. I'll get to the other side of the road so they can go around me. It's the one car I've encountered so far. Traffic dies down right after the rain. Who's afraid to go out and drive? Anyway. And I get to watch the storm take off on the horizon and go the other way and watch the lightning with it. But it's awesome, it's going the wrong way. Just lit up the sky. Oh, it's so beautiful. But I don't have to worry about it because I took ownership of the situation and went and looked. So you go to weatherunderground.com, type in your zip code, it pulls up a map of where you are, click on that map to turn it into a full screen, hit the play button, zoom out a little bit, and watch the radar over the past couple hours or whatever it shows. Look for the pattern. Are you gonna have a pocket of good weather? Then go. And also, once you're moving, it doesn't matter if it's raining or even a little bit cold, especially if you're running, you'll be warm. Go ahead and get on your bike. Start going, and then when it rains, it'll actually feel good. No problemo. Oh, this is awesome, we're going back into it. All right, discount code for Salt Stick. Get you some. Somebody asked me on Twitter, what was the, uh... hey, listen to this. Oh, they're getting quiet as I get closer. That's so funny. Hey Brett, how do I make? <laughs> hey Brett, how do I make uh, that fuel with maple syrup? Maple syrup's awesome. Maple syrup is about 60 calories per tablespoon. Put it in a fuel bottle, however many calories you want. If you don't know how many calories are about right for you, you need to learn that it matters. You can do more calories if you're gonna do a hard workout, fewer calories if you wanna do fat burning. That's the cool thing about making your own fuel. Then add maltodextrin powder if you want or not, and then add salt stick. Capsules, break them up, put them in, boom. Okay. Saltstick.com slash Zentry. We've got our own website. And then it'll say, what's your password? You can't get in. 
How do we know you're cool? You go. Passwords didn't try, bruh. Duh. Duh, bruh. <laughs> Boom, and you get in, you get the discount, all the goodness. Be one of us. Join us, Michael. Michael. Yeah, I don't know what that's from. That's from the Lost Boys. It's pretty good. Okay. Next. Uh, to wrap up the show, see, I wanted to mention motivating kids. It's hard to do. You have to find that right balance between forcing it on them. Before I left the house, Kai's sitting there watching TV. Are you going to go run with me? And he goes, no. No. I go, what are you watching? He goes, uh. I go, have you seen that movie before? <laughs> it's one of these Adam Sandler movies, so you know it's like, it's funny, but it's pointless. And he goes, yeah. I go, okay. That means you're not doing anything. Walk over, I don't ask. I go, I'm turning off the TV. And then I go grab the book and hand it to him. Read a book, learn something. You're not doing anything constructive. Here. He's like, ugh. But because I got a pattern of consistency, he knows I'm serious. And I said, or you can go run with me. You got a choice. You can sit around, but you're going to read. Or you can exercise with me. Either way. He goes, I'm going to stay here and read. I'm like, cool. I wish you would go with me, but that's cool. Then, the book I handed him is The Way of the Warrior Kid by Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL. It's supposed to be awesome. And it motivates kids to do something with themselves. Okay, and then the other thing. So that's overt, you know, management of expectations. The other thing was he runs with a Garmin watch right now. I mentioned DeSunto. I'm like, dude, this kid is training. And he does Instagram and all that stuff. We'll see what happens. So on his Garmin watch, he, uh, you know, he's got, it uploads to Garmin Connect. And then he, uh, I thought he had a Strava account, but I made a running loop. So I'm doing this three, well, it's a 2.2 mile running loop around my house. And it's a perfect circle, almost. <laughs> almost perfect. And I'm like, so on Strava, you can make segments. And then anybody that ever runs that or bikes that can compare their time automatically. So it's like a competition, it's like a race. Anytime you want virtual and the running loop I turned it into a Strava segment and then I did it and I told him my time I said I did it in 18 minutes and 10 seconds which is like a low 8 minute mile I'm just jogging running pretty fast but you know not killing myself so guess who went out and ran it the next day to compete, you know, 
I didn't make them. He went and did it. But the hard thing was setting it up. I had to sit down, make a segment. I had to create him a Strava account. I had to connect his Garmin to the Strava. And then after all that, so it happened automatically, because, and then now he went out and ran it without me making him. And then he saw, he beat my time, and I was in sixth or seventh place. Let's say I was in sixth place, I think. <laughs> he ran it. I ran the whole thing in like 18 something minutes. He ran it in 16 minutes. And he took third on the calm King of the Mountain chart, the leaderboard of all time. And then bumped me down to seventh, six to seven. So he beat me, you know, and that feels good to him. He's like, feels good to me too. He's like, yeah, I want to do this again. But he's only third. He's not first. Right? And it's bothering him. He goes, oh, well, how far am I from second? I go, go look. Own your shit, dude. <laughs> you go look. I set all this up. I didn't say that in my mind. I'm like, you set all this up. Now it's your turn. So, the pulling, so the pushing is me turning off the TV and handing them a book, right? The pulling is, the book is about being a badass kid. How to be a badass kid. You know, what a badass kid does and how he got there. And the pulling is me setting up Strava and everything so that he sees where he stands and what his potential could be. Right? Because at age 12, and for some of us at age 40, because no one's ever pushed us, that's too much of a hill to overcome. Setting up all the Strava stuff and whatever. But somebody lays it out for you and then you see what it can do. And then you're like, oh, cool. Somebody's worn the path, taken a machete and cut the branches off the path a little bit. Hold on, I got gas. Ooh. I ate too close to running. I'm okay though. So, not just with kids, but especially with kids, it's an art, push-pull, right? If you push them too much, they resent you or the thing. If you don't push at all, if you're not consistent with your standards, then there's no point in trying, right? They just run over you, don't do what you say. So when I say, I'm turning off the TV, he knows it. Dad's turning off the TV. 
But the other thing is I'm super excited. I got a run course set up. And I think in a future podcast, I'm going to talk about the perfect run course. Because I've been really paying attention to what works as a good run run training environment. Because I think I've come upon something. And this is just for you, for you and me. What's awesome, what really works to make you a better runner. As far as setting up a course, like what, what run course really works. Because like I said, I think I got something big to share. So on a future episode, I'll talk about that. And you know, a lot of times something's improved and something's better when it happens without you paying attention to it. All of a sudden you realize things are different without you looking for it. And a year ago or more, up until recently, I was, uh, if I was running where I'm running right now, I'd be uh, not able to run this. Because it's too hilly. Or if I was running it, be running an 11 something minute mile. But now I'm running. I run yesterday looking at it after the fact because that's a smart thing to do. Average to low nine, like a 915. Rolling hills. No foot pain for an hour, six and a half miles. 6.6. But like today, I'm running the course that I wouldn't be able to run before. And now I'm running it. I just realized it. Oh my God, oh my God. so convenient so awesome throw on running shoes and go alright I think that's it for this episode next episode we're going to have a bunch of training tips more stuff as we cross the road back into my neighborhood from the country road Y'all never stop. Keep it up. (sighs) I'm jogging a downhill right now. Work the uphills. Cruise the downhills. Pay attention. And keep the rubber side down. Out.